powered from the Perdomo Scott Studios on the Black Stage in Indian Trail, North Carolina, and broadcasting down under outside Brisbane in Australia. It's episode 115 of the Primetime Jukebox. Tonight, we talk about songs that deserve and have gotten a second chance. And as always, the Primetime Jukebox is brought to you by Perdomo Cigars. Awarded Nicaraguan Cigar of the Year in 2014 by Cigar Journal, the Perdomo 20th Anniversary brand has consistently earned the highest scores in the industry and is a top seller in humidors around the world. The Perdomo 20th Anniversary blend requires tobaccos that have been carefully hand-selected and are well-aged for a minimum of eight years. The Perdomo 20th Anniversary is offered in three distinct wrappers, a smooth, creamy Ecuador in Connecticut, a rich, earthy Cuban seed Nicaraguan sun-grown, and a dark, oily Cuban seed Nicaraguan Maduro. Combine these beautifully bourbon barrels wrappers with thick, high-priming binder and filler tobaccos with each blend, a balanced complexity with layers of rich flavors and smooth, elegant aromas. Perdomo Cigars is a family-owned and operated company headquartered in Miami, Florida, with manufacturing and agricultural facilities in Esteli, Nicaragua. Perdomo's highly acclaimed cigar brands include the Perdomo 30th Anniversary, the Perdomo Double-Aged 12-Year Vintage, Perdomo 20th Anniversary, Perdomo Reserve 10th Anniversary line, Perdomo Albano Bourbon Barrels, Perdomo Lot 23, Perdomo Minso 70, and many more. For great tasting notes and pairing information, check out the new Perdomo website at perdomocigars.com. And, of course, we want to mention JRE Tobacco. The authentic Corojo leaf is one of the most robust and flavorful tobacco leaves out there. During the Golden Age, of Cuba is a leaf of choice to make some of the world's greatest cigars. Because it's one of the most challenging ones to cultivate, it fell out of favor by the 1990s. In the Hamasan Valley in Honduras, Julio Aroa took on the challenge of growing Corojo from the original seeds. And in 2000, he successfully reintroduced authentic Corojo back to the market. With over 50 years' experience in the tobacco business, from growing and curing tobacco to cigar production, the JRE Tobacco Farm has been able to continue to deliver products to market with authentic Corojo. Now, with JRE Tobacco, Hulinus and Huso brought their very own brand to market, each contain that authentic Corojo leaf. Aladino is available in a wide variety of blends, including the latest release, the Aladino Sumatra. And each represent the Golden Age of Cigars from 1947 to 1961. They're available at your local retailer. Be sure to ask for Jerry Tobacco, a legacy that is tasted in every drawer. And of course, we want to mention Tobacco Lera USA, makers of iconic brands such as Monte Cristo, Romeo Julieta, A. Chapman, and Aging Room Cigars. Tobacco USA, great things are happening here. And finally, by Drew Estate. Dark, bold, and unapologetic. Blackened cigars that many one, but Drew Estate is an intense journey into the uncharted, deepest, darkest, and heaviest depths of Maduro tobacco. This is a masterpiece collaboration between Metallica's James Hetfield, Sweet Amber Distilling's Rob Dietrich, and Drew Estate's Jonathan Drew. The all-Maduro Blackened Cigars MD1 by Drew Estate is rich and powerful, but beautifully balanced, offering tantalizing notes of leather, chocolate, and espresso that's perfect for both life celebrations and times of refreshment. You can find them at your Drew Diplomat retailer. And remember all the live streaming for the Primetime Network of Shows, as well as the uh, for this California Studios on the Thursday Primetime Show is sponsored exclusively by Drew Estate. Well, welcome, everybody. This is Primetime Jukebox, episode 115. We're heading into the December months. Um of 2023. Will Cooper here. I am in uh, the Perdomo Cigar Studios, and I'm joined on the other end of the planet by my good friend and colleague, Mr. Dave Burke. Hello, everyone. Uh, good to see you today. Thanks, Coop. Yep. We're coming in. We're recording on a usual non-show day because I got crazy 
stuff happening on the on the weekend. Got basketball, basketball yeah. coop. Yeah, no, um, and um, it, it actually uh, isn't a bad thing. I was telling you before the show because I'm able to just do some scheduling at the studio a certain way, and um, it actually gives me a break on Saturdays lately. Too, so it's not a bad deal. <laughs> so I'm happy to do it. So it, it works so out coop for me is, uh, either the way. Man. Yeah. yeah, Coop's the man. Yeah. Speaking of uh, Coop being the man, your team won a uh, barn burner 10-7 or whatever that was. You know, like a still, high school game. Yeah, I mean, I still haven't really brought myself to watch them yet because I have I, I don't get the games because I didn't order the package, right? So I can't watch oh, that's the game. That's a good move by you. But I have I have been quiet on the team, and I'm just going to say something. Look, I, I think you got to give this Tommy DeVito kid some credit. I mean, he's playing yeah. as good as you can expect him to play. I mean, honestly, are you going to win a Super Bowl with Tommy DeVito? No. no. But give him some – I think he's playing better than Daniel Jones. Played. I mean, all he can do is what he can do, right? I all mean, he can do – yeah. throw him in there, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, give him uh, give him some credit. But, you know, I'll tell you, Dave, the story in Charlotte is the Carolina Panthers and firing another coach. Okay, now I saw this on Facebook, and and we're not going to turn this into NFL corner, but like, like I told Coop, <laughs> like I told you on Facebook, Coop, like the problem with that team is the coach, it's not the quarterback, it's the owner. Oh, 100%. the owner is just horrible. So I don't know, like I don't know who takes that job because he's fired both coaches, like what in season or whatever. Right. So you have no job security at all. You you like. I mean, so you're the coach. He just sort of gives you these players. Like he's the one that wanted Bryce Young, and but he, yeah, yeah and he no, might yeah. still be good. Like I don't know. Like it's hard to say. Um, but the coach, I mean, the owner is so into the team that, like, as the coach, he like throws you this team. But if it doesn't work out, like you're the one that gets fired. Like I don't know. Yeah, you're not gonna get a good coach there, Coop. You're just gonna get someone who wants a job. I mean, you're not gonna get. No, I don't you, think you're you're a thousand percent right. Um, on the money, you know. I'll even give you this scenario. Let's say the Patriots do move on from Belichick, right? And Belichick wants to coach. Do you, think Bill wants, Be- yeah. do you think Bill Belichick would even entertain an idea of coming to the Carolina Panthers and working for this man? Like, no. He, like, why would you humiliate your legacy by going, like, taking a check from this guy and oh. and going to work for him? Um, I'm not saying the other Frank thing Reich it was, sounds yeah. like. Yeah. yeah. Oh, go ahead, Coop. I'm not saying Frank Reich was a was the best coach in the world. You got to no. give the guy. This wasn't an Urban Meyer <laughs> situation. You, you, he's working with a, a young quarterback, right? Give him some time. Look, Damn. I'm the first one to say you, the offensive lines are too easy of an excuse because no one's got good offensive lines in the NFL, right? But yeah. you have a young quarterback who's, who's mistake prone. When you go and do that, you basically thrown away your season. And Jimmy Johnson went one and fifteen with Troy Aikman. Just remember That's that. That's right. So I yeah. don't. I don't I mean, because the thing is, is the person you're going to get right is you're either going to get a college coach. Yeah. That wants the payday, wants right. to be in the NFL or you're going to get an assistant. Like, there's no way like an established coach goes there, like even one that gets fired from somewhere, you know, they brought in three what, like you get the, McDaniels yeah. again or something like, I mean, right. right. The, the guy, why they, would you do that? No, I agree. They had yeah. a rule who was a college coach. He didn't work out. All right, I'll be honest with you. No. Okay, you gave him three years. Yeah, that's fine. Then they bring Wilkes in, who did a very good job. They decided not to hire Wilkes because they wanted an offensive coach. So they go and hire Frank Reich, who's who's a folklore hero in Carolina. He was the first quarterback for the Panthers, right? 
And uh, they, he he did a nice yeah. job with, in Indianapolis with with Andrew. Like he had, did he have Andrew Luck? It might not have been him. No, it was after he him. had. Uh, um, you know, he had. Uh, well, his claim to fame is uh, he was thrown. He was with Carson the Eagles. Yeah, yeah, he yeah, had, yeah. yeah, he kept having these quarterbacks thrown at him. Yeah, um, sorting it out. Yeah, but okay, you got to give him. You got to give him more than a year with a young. If you're going with a rookie quarterback. You you've got to give the coach two years at least. Well, I mean, I just don't know because now you look at Bryce Young, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm not here saying that he's going to be John Elway or something, but I've seen him play games, and yeah, he makes mistakes, but there's flashes of like there's some talent there, right? No doubt, no doubt. But then you give him, so he's going to have to have a new offensive coordinator, probably or like a whole new system again. Mm-hmm. So it's like it doesn't help his growth at all. So no, you're not going to know. You're going to get to year three, and you're still not going to know if he's good or not. And because well, you keep changing coaches. I agree. It, 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 it's it's a terrible situation. Um, And, you know, like I said, you said, who, you know what they're going to have to do? Dave, you nailed it. They're going to have to, there's going to be some assistant who's going to say, I can, yeah. I can do it. I can do it. I can deal with this guy, right? And and take a page. That's what's going to happen here. And that's what they're going to, they've gone with three experienced coaches and he's they still couldn't satisfy this guy. And here's the other thing. He's also owns the, uh, the, the MLS team, soccer team. He's fired the coach too there. <laughs> I mean, the thing about him is it sounds like he's got a ton of money. Yep. And he just wants a toy and he wants to be able to brag to all his rich friends how good the team is. Yep. And he doesn't care how many coaches he has to pay because he's paying all these coaches. Yeah, it's like they're on like four, three, four year deals. Yeah, so he's just lighting money on fire, and he just doesn't care. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know the local media in Charlotte, when it comes to sports, they're on top of their teams. Like they do that know is. they have a good pulse. And while the national guys were saying they weren't sure if Reich was getting fired, the local guys were all saying it. Like he goes, they go, this, you know, oh. they're because they're around the team all week, is what I'm saying. So they uh yeah they called this one and uh what a, what a mess i mean but that but i mean it's like you get as a coach right so say they bring someone in right let's say staley gets fired from saying from the charges cuz mm-hmm. he's awful right i mean he's terrible anyway but right. so maybe no one offers him a job at the panthers so he goes to the panthers but like the amount of pressure on the coach cuz you have like like there's no it seems like you don't get you don't get any time to rebuild it's yeah. like I don't care how new the team is, I don't care how many rookies you have, you got to win now. Yes. Yeah. Like, that's not realistic. No, it it absolutely isn't. Um it's it's totally not, yeah. Totally not, you know. I mean, having said that, like it seems that like the only coach that could do that is uh Tomlin for the Steelers. You could give him you could give him the youth basketball team, my coach, and my pet dog, and he'd probably still get like a winning record. <laughs> right, insane. right, I- exactly, exactly. You know, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. That's crazy. It's just like these people say Bill Belichick can't coach anymore. That's ridiculous. This guy can still coach. Uh, yeah. ha- has he maybe not done the best job of recruiting players or or drafting and stuff? Yeah, I think there's been some issues, but he's gonna get turned around. Some, you know, he'll, oh yeah, I he's gonna he had, go somewhere else. He's yeah. gonna go somewhere else. Yeah. I mean, I don't know where. I mean, you reckon? You think the? I mean, uh, and we'll get to music eventually. But you think the Raiders will keep their guy because he's looking good. Pierce is looking good because he's you know they're playing they well. They better him. not so fire Pierce. They're playing well for him. So that they might keep him, and they, and they're rebuilding too. Like they got quarterback issues and stuff. Um, so they might get, keep him. 
I mean, maybe I mean he's not going to the Panthers, where I said that. I mean, maybe they they bang out Staley, get rid of him. Eberflus they might get rid of, possibly. From the Bears. Yeah. I don't know. Um But the Bears and the Chargers aren't gonna pay for a coach. No. That's no. gonna be the yeah. Cause there's the rumors that Harbaugh is gonna like jump Michigan and go to uh, the Chargers, but they're gonna have to. Call, the, the Chargers historically have not paid for a big name coach. Yeah, I don't know. Then they they got that, Marty. Schott, they got Marty Schottenheimer yes. once, but they got him cheap, is from what I understand too. Was that the end of Marty's career? Was that after the Chiefs? Right. Yeah, that Marty yeah. went to the Redskins one year. Yeah, and, after the Chiefs, and then he went to the 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 Chargers. Yeah. So. It's going to be interesting. I don't think the Giants scenario. I don't think the Giants change coaches this year. That's why. God, you talk about night yeah. and day with a coach. Go coach of the year to like. Yeah, Ooh. but the one thing they're going to say is that Dable, look what he did with this guy off the practice squad, basically. I mean, I think they got to give him another year. You got to give him another year. I, I wasn't happy with the year either. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think it's a fireable year. Uh, you oh, did lose your quarter. He's, he's he has another year like this. He's gone. I mean, he can't have. I mean, the year. problem with Dable is that when it was going bad in the middle of the year, he was throwing everybody under the bus. Like he, was he and, and, and he can't handle the pressure. You can see it. Yeah, you can see. So it. the problem with him, so I think his seat is hot, very hot. Yes. Yeah. I, I got to tell you what, love, love turning it around a little bit saved Lafleur's. Lafleur probably. I think Lafleur's job was saved on Thanksgiving. To be honest with you, yeah. Like love. Putting it together is really is kind of helped saved his bacon. Yeah, you know, and one thing I got to say is it's time for the NFL to take that game away. I'm sorry to all the Detroit oh, fans. the Lions. The Lions don't deserve to have that game. We're going to talk a little more about the halftime show with that. I mean, that as long all- as I reckon for me as a traditionalist, as long as you keep one of them. Like as long as either the Lions have it or the Cowboys have it, right? Um, yeah, and I, I think that's yeah, yeah, I agree, but I think it's time keep to, one of them. Yeah, yeah, I think that was an embarrassment. I mean, Detroit, this is just most people having Detroit going to the Super Bowl this year. I'm like, whoa, slow Man, down. They have slow late down. the last yeah. couple of weeks, yeah. All right. Enough football talk. Yeah, yeah, we went uh, we'll, we'll do that for our football roundup, which by the way, the Packers making a run, making my picks look a bit better. Thanks, Pac. Thanks, yeah, yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah, they're in the hunt. <laughs> Absolutely. They help they help me out. Yeah. Although, like, there's only three good teams in the yeah. NFL this year yeah. anyway. <laughs> but got bad year for the NFL coup. Mm-hmm. Oof. Um All right. Uh Cigar Jukebox, the website, email me at cigarjukebox gmail.com. That's how yep. you get stuff to the show. Or you can email Coop. Yep. Um, that- Yep, cigar-coop.com. Yep. Send him, send him whatever you like. Send him a song to start with Rabbit Hole. We might try and get that going. Yeah, Um, absolutely. The top 50 of 2023 has begun, Coop. Yes, it has. Uh, All months will be in. Yep, yep. Looking, uh, this is a big, big annual tradition here on the jukebox. And I, uh, so I, I, for people that are new to the show, I put out a top 50 of the year. And I try to end it. I try to have the top five end um, at uh, on uh, when we do our New Year's show. So I try to reveal it on the New Year's year review show. Yeah. Just sometime in that, what, like first week of January-ish or so. Yep. Um, so I go two a week. Uh, and it's five songs. 
And it's my top 50. Now, obviously, I can't hear every song. And we'll talk about that today with the album I just totally missed. So after that, I do an oops top 50. Where everything he missed, yeah. <laughs> yeah, where I go through all the lists from like Pitchfork and NPR music and stuff like that. Um, and I I kind of go look around at songs that they're liking, songs that I missed, and it's 50 songs that I missed. And so by the end of January, you have 100 songs from the year that you can uh, check out. Yeah, really, Dave, Dave does a great job at curating these lists. Uh so so check it out. I mean, I got to say, I wasn't surprised about number 50. I thought but I wasn't. Yeah, I, I thought it might be a little higher, but but I, yeah. I thought it would be not far from that. I knew you were going to include that song. To be honest, this year, Coop, I think like 50 to 35 is kind of a grab bag. You can kind yeah. of move them around. Yeah, it's like once you start getting into the top 30, that's when. Stuff starts to fall in place this year. Yeah. This year, Coop, and I mentioned it in my, I don't know if I posted, because I've done a couple, written a couple. I don't know if I posted yet. This year for you is going to be hard, because the main theme I'm seeing in my top 50 is like they're all, it's like all these artists making comebacks. It, like you what, had it, the Stones, you yep. have Pink, you have, I mean, even if you count the Foo Fighters or Lucinda Williams, yeah. Duran Duran. Yep. Um. You know, it's it's inter- It's a very competitive, and I do my you. I do my new oldies, which are the older artists who do these comeback ones. I do that in January, um, and I don't really have a clear number one right now. Which no, usually I mean, I've always Pet usually I go in there. I know, is... uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pet Shop Boys are in there. Um, uh, yeah, I don't have that clear number one this time. It, it's close. I mean, what this year lacked in the big blockbusters we got last year, where we had what Rihanna and Taylor Swift and Lizzo and <laughs> like it was just crazy. Yeah. yeah. What they lack in those big blockbuster releases, it's like tons of those new oldies this year, like more yeah. than I remember in previous years. Yep. So you're you're gonna have a tough uh, tough um tough go. Yep. Um, Thanksgiving review, Dolly Parton. So I watched that. I watched it too. You gotta love the uh, Cowboys uh, cheerleader outfit. Love that. Uh, I liked it on her. Is what yeah. I'm saying. Oh, I love uh, that she did it. Yeah, I, uh, I yeah, I'm not a big fan of the Cowboys cheerleaders because of the Cowboys, but Dolly pulled it off. She did very good. Um, yeah, I mean, my general review of it was that I liked how they have a couple. I wish they had more classic songs. But I get, I guess they wanted to put that rock song in because they got the album coming. Yeah, wanna, I think we were talking yeah. that we knew one of the three, one of the songs would be one of the rock, the rock songs. So I don't think there was a huge surprise with that. Uh, and then you know, I, nine to five was going in there because it's. Texas. I knew that was going in there. Yeah, I mean, then, I think yeah. the song choices for the classics like Jolene. I mean, you knew Jolene was going in there. You knew Jolene, like I said, it was pretty pretty. I thought, I, and I didn't think yeah. she'd get more than three songs because of the time. So yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I I would have liked maybe if you squeeze a chorus of an older song in there or something. That's yeah. my only criticism, really. Yeah. Um. I I heard the criticism about the lip syncing. I, I mean, that's every okay. So Dolly, so that's yeah, like every half. Yeah. So yeah, let's put it on the table. Yeah, ninety five percent of them. Let's put this on the table. Dolly was lip syncing. Let's put also put this on the table. If you didn't think he was lip syncing, this 
I don't know what you were thinking, right? But she did not re- lip sync a studio recording. Is my point, you know? Yeah. So like when you watch like, like like one thing why I always hated like American Bandstand, right? Oh, because, yeah, 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 because yeah. they lip sync to the studio cut, right? The studio so, cut, yeah. Right. This was this was a pre-recorded thing that was laid down. A lot can go wrong during it. This is a 12-minute thing they got, right? So yeah. th- yes, she was lip syncing, but that's the like it's rare. Like the only p- time yeah. I, I I don't think Prince lip synced at the Super Bowl show, and I know you two didn't lip sync. I think those were the I don't two think like, Rihanna did either. I mean, she might have done some. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think she I'd have done... to. I'd have to read on that because she was doing a lot. I mean, it yeah. just. I mean, I'd have to check. Yeah, but if it wasn't, it was. It was a mix, yeah. possibly. Right. But if you're gonna pick on Dolly about this, guess what? You you shouldn't like, be watching a halftime everyone. show. Then it's not yeah. for you. I mean, it's just. But this was not a studio. Like I said, this was not her lip syncing into a studio recording. So I, I think it was. Um, you know, and, and and there was a whole there's a whole performance angle on it. Like I said, would I love? Would I like the lip syncing out of there? Yes. But that's not what you know. It's not possible with this type of show. Yeah. So. But I mean, I delivered. If you're a Dolly fan, deliver what you want. You saw her out there. You heard some songs. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I yeah. mean, was it as spellbinding as like a half as a Super Bowl halftime show? No. But they don't have the amount of time. They don't have the amount of prep. You know. It was a, maybe it was they'll a, make it bigger yeah. over time. I don't know. But it was a solid halftime show. It was yeah. solid for <laughs> what you're getting. This is again what we were getting. There's not a lot you could pick on, except I agree with you. I would. There wasn't a lot of room for song choices or anything, and and you know you have you have to deal with the pre-recording piece. So, but yeah, but otherwise it now, was solid. Yeah. Now, but then when you compare it to Jack Harlow, Coop. Oh my God. I mean, what I mean, what Dolly did looked like the Sistine Chapel. <laughs> there were there were I Jack watched Har- that. Oh my God. There were Jack Harlow fans who like were were horrified by that. I mean, I know. Yeah, it was terrible. There was just it was it was one. It's got to go down as one of the worst halftime shows ever. Is Jack Harlow? I, mean, I think I think the problem with that just I just I don't know if he's a good fit for. I mean, I don't know. Like he, I don't like Jack Harlow, so that I don't either. Help, but he but... was lackluster. Would you agree? I, oh, he was, this, yes, he was very lackluster on top of all that. Like, like you really want to be there? Like, if you didn't want to be there, then don't be there. I mean, you just need more energy, right? And we're going to see this. We're going to see. I mean, I think the thing about it, too, is like when you compare it to Dolly, who understands how to like work a crowd, and you compare it to, say, Rihanna and what we're going to see from Usher, who are just like, you know, excellence in performance, you're going to look at Jack and be like, what was he? <laughs> like, and that's the problem. Like, you you might be able to fire up the crowd if you're at a Jack yeah. Harlow show and you have all your fans there, but you know an audience like that, I just don't know. I mean, he obviously wasn't ready for it or it, it didn't was, know what to do. Or... First of all, he he was singing off key, right? His, well, yeah, I don't yeah. know what was going on with that backup dancer, right? And yeah, then well, that's the the set. I mean, it looked yeah. like honestly, honestly, yeah. the Cigar Coop Studios and the and the and the, and the uh, Cigar Jukebox Studios are much. I mean, would would have done a better job on that set than they did in Detroit. I mean, it was just, it was just, yeah, like, yeah. like did you bad. just, yeah, who was, who was, I mean, ultimately it's him. I mean, ultimately he's responsible. He, he was delivering the terrible vocals, and but someone should take a hit uh, in Detroit for that as well. That's another Ooh. reason why Detroit should lose the halftime game. I mean, that, that's, emba- yeah, that's that was embarrassing. It was. You just uh, left it to Dolly in Dallas. Dallas does everything big and well to keep it there. 
Absolutely, absolutely agree with you on that. So yeah, because uh, you know, I mean, regardless of who the act was, you know, Jerry Jones ain't gonna let it look bad. You know what no, I mean? No, no, absolutely not. Yeah. Absolutely not. You know, um, say we want with Jerry Jones. I mean, Jerry, Jerry called Dolly, and uh, guess what? And Folly, what do you need, Dolly? What do you need from us? You know, what do you need? Knock oh, it yeah. out and make 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 the fans happy. I'm sure you know, make them happy in the stadium, make them happy at home. I'm sure, that's what he said. I think we just decided to get rid of the game for Detroit and keep Dallas. They should lose the game over that halftime. It was, that was an embarrassment, that halftime show. Well, yeah. and then the game was an embarrassment for them. The, yeah, oh, it was. Good for my pack, it, though. Absolutely. Good for my pack, baby. Yep. yep. Hey, jo- hey, really, last football thing, but it looks like Goff is turning from a carriage back into a pumpkin. Like, what? <laughs> he has turned the ball over. He is not. No, anyway. it's, uh, it's sad. Yeah, very sad. Speaking of weird things like Jack Harlow. Have you read about this Hall & Oates lawsuit? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, this I, I it's just this we, it's about this weird Oates company and like contract Oates, violations, which is and... licensing. Yeah, it's a, yeah, I think it's a distribution company. And I think it, it's just crazy. Yeah, it's weird. But they're going at it around this like. Contract dispute that would put future projects in jeopardy and. Yeah, it's. Well, it's the, strange. Yeah, but I think the whole issue now is with with Oates trying to sell his share of this. Yes, that's what it is. Yeah, but he can't. But it. But so the 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 thing is around him selling it, and that he can't sell it. Is right. The, is the whole crux of the issue. Right. There's. But, there's. You know. Exactly. I mean, when you have a partnership, the idea is you don't want your one of your partners to sell and. You know, no. the other partner gets stuck with someone they can't work with. So that's why these are in there as far as that goes. Um, so, but I guess that now there was a restraining order to stop Oates from pursuing the deal. It is not going well. I mean, and we see this, Coop, and what reminded me of it, or what I thought of is like, you see this, like the Eagles, like I'm surprised the Stones haven't had a lot of this. Um, but the Eagles, I know, like had this, where fans become like their own, I think, I think like, I mean, Metallica's definitely had it, but yeah. where bands become their own brand and their own like LLC and it's not a band anymore. It's like a corporation and there's all this mm-hmm. weird yep. contractual yeah. stuff. Oh, and, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you've seen this. With, we saw this with Journey last year. Yes. That's who I was thinking of. The whole, yes. the whole Steve. I mean, Tears for Fears went through it too, but from what I understand with Tears for Fears, when they split, it was it was much more of a creative split, less than a business split. Mm. It was more that was they split for creative reasons. And in fact, they still had business together, which got them back together creatively. Right. But this is this whole note. You're talking about a, a duo that was they're going on 50, 50th anniversary. This is and now there's talk. They're done now. This now yeah. some of the we'll see how it flushes out. It may be, they may be done for a while, you know, but ultimately we've Everybody's seen, done until they need money, Coop. Until they need money and ultimately, you know, and, and it was interesting because I was reading the Rolling Stone quote here and I, I brought it up here and they were saying basically how he was, um, Daryl Hall saying, well, you know, we're, we're brothers, but, uh, yeah. you know, uh, but not creative brothers. We're business partners, you know. We made Hall's records called Hold Notes Together, but we've always been very separate and that's very important to me. God, yeah, Take it easy. And then Holtz is the one saying they could be done performing together. So, yeah. Um, well, I mean, this isn't going to help. You wouldn't. Think. No, no, it's not. But this is this is yeah, this this is a this is a really big story here. Yeah. Uh, speaking of bands. Yeah. 
that ended on bad terms. Mm-hmm. I saw Stop Making Sense in uh, the theater. Yep. The uh, Talking Heads iconic concert. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Because it's all like redone. That's the 40th anniversary. Oh, that's the yeah. 40th anniversary one. Yeah, it's, a, yeah, it's yeah. incredible. That show is incredible. Oh, uh, what uh, an album, to say, too. What an yeah, album. Yeah, and I have to say, like, watching it in the theater. You think like, oh, like how fun, and 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 then also Renaissance is coming out, uh. So you're gonna have Beyonce. two concert shows Beyonce. out there. Dave's gonna be camping out think, for tickets. <laughs> yeah, well, I gotta get that. But you gotta, <laughs> but you gotta. You think to yourself, well, what's seeing a concert in the theater? What's that like? And I saw Rattle and Hum like forever ago. Still love. My wife hates that movie. I love that movie. I know people. I saw it twice when it came out. Oh, it's um, beautiful. I think one of the one of them. I was like the only one in the theater. That's all right. Um. But man, Coop, on that big screen now with the way they do sound and picture, it's like you're there. Yeah. Like it's crazy. Like you're singing along and it's you get the whole you you get that you still get that live vibe, you yeah. know? Um, so yeah, it's, if you can still see it, if it's still playing out where you are, go see it. Yeah. Stop making sense. It was amazing. I want to check that one out, yeah. It's it's incredible. Uh the only the only bad part about it is they do <laughs> Tom Tom Club does a song, which is just horrific. <laughs> but, Tom Tom Club. <laughs> but other than that, uh, it's incredible. God, David Byrne, man. He, like, you just see him perform, and you're like, man. Hey, Tina, um, Tina is awesome. I still love Tina. Yeah, Tina, yeah. Yeah. They never played again after that. They played uh, at the Hall of Fame. Yep. I think two, two years ago or so, and that was it. That's and pretty much it, like, yeah. Yeah. You're going to get together? And he's like, nope. Yeah. Uh, but they managed to do that one. Um, so that's good. And last but not least, December 1st, we're going to do an album archaeology. We're gonna, it's going to take a while to get it ready. Peter Gabriel's IO is coming out. Yeah. Which is, is probably, from what I've read, the highest con- the highest concept concept album ever ever recorded. I'm sure it's crazy. It is nuts. Just everything about it. So that's coming out December 1st. Um, Coop and I are going to do an album archaeology on it because it's just so nuts. Yeah. But, I mean, I'm going to need weeks of prep to dig, <laughs> dig through that. Agree. Oh, it's going to be a lot of work for that one. Yeah. Just based on what Gabriel said, he's like, oh, it's about, you know, the celestial birth and rebirth of the world and... I released all these singles on full moons. And it's like, what are you talking about? And yeah, so it's just yeah. Nice. So the singles came out every time there was a full moon over yeah. Peter Gabriel. Yeah, literally. Yeah, and he's like talking about the the celestial birth yeah. of the universe. Yeah. I'm like, oh my yeah. god. Um, so I got so you can listen to those singles now before the album comes out. I think the album's essentially like putting them all together on a record. He, and he might have another single in there. I don't know. Uh, but you can start like looking, listening through it. But we're doing that. Uh, yeah. That's all the music news I got, Coop. That's, that's a lot. It was a lot this week. You got you got a lot of uh, cigar news. I put yeah. the Stillwell Stillwell Stars coming out, the new one. Yeah, it's already shipped. Um, so it's arrived at retailers. We smoked along the last show, the Y twenty twenty two. Uh, this is the Y twenty twenty three. 
It's the holiday blend that Steve's doing annually for uh, Christmas and the end of holiday seasons. And this is the one that basically, um, you know, uses the holiday themed pipe tobacco. Uh, what's different about this one is it's the first Stillwell star to actually uh, use a Connecticut shade wrapper. All mm-hmm. the other Stillwell stars are, are Habano wrapper. So, so, so yeah, that's going to be, that's, that's going to be one. Um, for sure to keep, you know, you know, people going to want to get um, their hands on that. I, I think there'll be enough. I don't think this is something you have to rush out and buy, but they go, you know, and you want to have them before Christmas. I think the smoke. So. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm really interested in that cigar. Like, like was on the holiday show. I expressed my love of the, you know, last year's holiday blend, which I adore. Yep. So I'll be interested to see what it's like uh, this year. Yep. 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 Uh, so I think people, you know, definitely going to want to get their hands on that one. Um, and uh, well, I think the holiday blend, you're right. It's been the best of the pipe tobacco cigars. The Do you think stuff. with the, that different wrapper, the pipe tobacco is going to like come out more? I think so. Yeah. Because that's a bit more of a milder of a. Yeah, I think it's definitely going to come out more. Which is sort of what. I know the developing palate guys talked about when they reviewed it. And so what we talked about is like when, when we're getting that pipe tobacco cigar, we really want that blend to lean into the, the pipe part of it. Cause you know, we want to get that interesting combination. So yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so that's out. Um, we got to break a very big story on coop. And when I say break is, uh, Carlito actually gave me this story. So, nice. um, I'm honored that we were the first to announce to the world that Fuente Padron Legends is heading to stores. Ooh. Now, now, I only get so much information from Carlito and Fuente. I don't know how much it costs yet, all right? Uh, <laughs> right. right? I don't know what retailers are getting it. What what he told me is 750 boxes have, have, have been put into a container and are on their way to Miami, right? <laughs> so that happened on Thanksgiving. They actually shipped the containers so what does that mean? I don't think you're going to see yeah. these probably till about December 15th at the earliest, right? Yeah. So uh, because they got to go through customs. And then yeah. I know that Fuente and Padron are both doing the distribution together. And from what I have heard, there is a list of retailers that have been nominated by reps and stuff like that to get these cigars. Um, but they're not getting a lot of them. That's what I understand. So, um. I don't have any idea on cost yet, so I don't know if I'm ever going to see this cigar other than what no. I know. So uh, a lot of retail, if they get one box, a lot of retailers are probably going to put this away or try to sell the box outright. That's just I mean, how, yeah. yeah. However many that retailers get at whatever price they put on it, like it's going to sell out instantly. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. But I got to say, you know, uh, Carlito, I mean, again, yeah, give, give me that story was a big deal. Um, and you know, the other thing is there's a school controversy about reporting how a cigar gets shipped. And this is, you'll hear this on a couple of the other coop shows coming up. Do we report, is it, is it more important to report that the, sh- the cigar has been shipped out of the factory to the U S mm-hmm. or is it more important to, to talk about that the cigars have been shipped from the distributor to the retailers? That's where it gets a oh, little, that's where okay. this is getting a little now. I think there's more value in okay the fact once it's out of the factory it's got to head this way right mm. um unless they hold it back and the idea is if it's in the stores already it's kind of too late to report it right so I favor I just want to know when the factory is saying we're done with it get it out it's on the way 
go to customs mm-hmm. and then they had the retailers. So it's interesting. Uh, that's a little bit of a this has been a little bit of a debate with some of the media guys. Mm. No, that is some media I folks mean, don't. Yeah, yeah, some media folks don't report this stuff at all. Some, I believe, wait till they do that latter report. They want to report it when it's going to the stores. So it, I think stores, it's, a, yeah. it's a choice. It's nothing more with that. I mean, I know it's a consumer because you know I don't report any of the stuff. But right. I know as a as a consumer, like for me, any shipping information, whether it's to the retailer or out of the factory, it's, I just get excited. Yeah. yeah. So as a consumer, I really don't differentiate it as much. Now I'm not looking at it as as closely as a lot of people are, but yeah. I just get yeah. like, ooh, they sh- they shipped. Okay, so these stories about reporting something shipped. Get very little traffic compared to when the announcement of the product happened. Unless, oh, unless yeah, yeah. it's unless it's combined with a product announcement, they don't really get the traffic because it's already been reported. However, this one broke every record for a oh, now shipping story on Coop by, oh, by which was set by Perdomo earlier in the month. Okay, because that mm. was you. Perdomo was a very anticipated cigar, the Perdomo thirtieth. So those yeah. two cigars have absolutely like broken records for for just reporting it shipped. So nice. Yeah. So now the the last one here, you're going near my, near my new homeland coop, my neck of the woods here. Yeah. So, um, we got word that, uh, New Zealand who earlier in the year put into law, a generational smoking ban that basically anyone born after 2009, uh, sorry, you can't buy tobacco products anymore. And eventually, the later. idea was was to try to wipe out tobacco that way. You know, over time. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess it was. There's a new. I guess uh, the the previous prime minister was Jacinda Ardern, right? Yeah, yeah new prime minister. Yep. So she's not in there anymore. And there's a new nope. prime minister. And they're the what they do in these prime minister governments, and you know more about this than me, is they form these coalitions. Yep. With yep. the other parties. So they kind of work with the other parties say, okay, we're in power now, but let's let's kind of make some deals here and you know, we can kind of uh try to set set the uh legislative agenda that way. So from what I understand, there was a list of policies that were agreed to and a list of policies that were gonna be dropped. And from what I understand, this is now gonna be dropped. It's, I think it still has to go through a parliamentary vote though. I don't think they can yeah. just yeah, so it's not done yet, but it has to go through a parliamentary vote. But the plan is, I guess, the coalition's kind of agreed that this is this is something that's going to come out. So it yeah, should come so, out. So to give you an idea of what it's sort of like, so the prime minister comes in, like the voting here, it's like, uh, so it's like sort of you need a certain percentage in order to have power, right? It's right. not like the president, like your president, there you go. Like the right. prime minister is is just a representative of the party of power. So sometimes, let's say the prime minister is uh, labor or liberal, which is like conservative right. here. If they if they get in, but they don't have enough people for a majority, they they might yeah. find they might form a coalition with another minor party to then get enough for a majority. So he might have formed a coalition with a party that's like, hey, we'll support you, but we don't want this. You know, tobacco ban. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, OK, no worries. And so. Yeah. So that could have been what happened. I mean, I read that ban and I know some other s- countries have talked about it. I just don't know how you enforce a coup because I, like I, you still got to have them in stores because technically someone that meets that cutoff when they're 75 so, might still want to smoke. So I don't know how you someone someone basically came to their senses on this one. Right. 
Um, someone I think did. Now I don't know the previous. I don't know much about the previous prime minister, but I th- from what I think, she was very far to the left. From what I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. um, and you know, but we we find that tobacco is not necessarily a left right thing, right? Because look at the no, look at the yeah. UK. They have a conservative prime minister who is um pushing pushing for yeah. a uh is still pushing for their generational smoking man despite this decision here. I don't know so, how you do it, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I think, so I, and I've said yeah. this before, and it's I haven't. I think in a lot of countries where there's public health care, you're going to see like really aggressive tobacco you, laws. Yeah, and Surgeon confirmed that as well because Surgeon says it's happening in Canada as well. Yeah, so I just don't Sur- know how you enforce it, Coop. Like, how do you enforce it? I mean, because you, you still got to have them in stores. Because if you're, like I said, if they put it in now, usually when they put it in, they're like. If you could buy cigarettes or cigars now legally, that's okay until like when, you know. Yeah. But like that still means stores are legally allowed to carry them for what? Another. Yeah. Like 70 years. Like, how do you like, I just don't get it. Yeah. 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 I agree. I agree. I just think if you want to do that, just raise the age. Just raise it to 21 or whatever. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm not in favor of that either, but I'm not in favor of that. I mean. There was a lot of talk about tobacco. Twenty five might start, and then someone Jesus. got to here. Yeah, but Hawaii's been trying. Hawaii and a few states have tried to pursue already some generational bans. I I don't know how you would pursue it in a state model, because people are just going to go to other states. It's it's ridiculous. It would be ridiculous. I yeah. think anyone with common sense would say, no, that's going with the states. Like the difference with tobacco twenty one was basically no one. They everyone knew that. That no one was fighting tobacco twenty one, so they were able to get away with it, yeah. right? Yeah. So basically, I, I mean, it's not just the cigar industry that laid down for tobacco twenty one; it was the whole tobacco Obviously, industry yeah. that did. So, they well, just, I mean, yeah, they yeah. Do that. What gets me, and I know Sensei's talked about this, Eric, at Dojo. It's like, yeah, quick, put all these laws in, but smoke as much marijuana as you want. Like, yeah. Have that. Yeah. yeah. All day long. Yeah. Anyway. Oh. Oh, by the way, um, I didn't tell you this. Uh-oh. I, I was voted into the Dojo Hall of Fame. Oh, the Hall of Fame. Coop, congratulations. I was shy. I, I didn't see it live, but all of a sudden, about 11 o'clock at night Eastern time, I'm getting these congratulating messages. The Dojo has a Hall of Fame for like their their community, but they, they induct an industry person every year, and I was inducted. I was shocked. Hey! I was, honored. I, I was, I was like very, very or something? I, look, I was very grateful because anytime your peers recognize you, uh, it's a, it's a nice feeling. So I was really, I thank those guys a lot. It was really nice to them. Good so, work. yeah. So I'm in the, I'm a hall of famer now. I'm in the Dojo You're a hall, hall of famer. Fame. Yeah. Yep. A nice work. I got in before Terrence Riley, uh, you know, so. Oh, Terrence. What and happened? Booth. I, I get, yeah. The, the industry people were in, I, I was told was Abe DeBabna, Eric Espinoza, and Jonathan Drew. I mean, oh, nice. And now me. One of Good them company. doesn't belong, and it's clearly Good not company. me. Wow. <laughs> well, congratulations. Well it. deserved. Coop. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, let's go on to another cigar industry luminary that is developing palettes. <laughs> yeah. So I I watched. Well, I watched a, a couple of them, but I I was gonna take, talk about the Quinn. Quagenario because we recently had that cigar. Yes, we did. I think Coop and I we were both like, it starts out well, it kind of fades near the end, but it has some promise. It's not a terrible cigar, but you know. It, it, yeah, I mean, I I can said I thought Volstead, which was made in Skip's factory, 
was better. But I understand what this cigar was. This was kind of a, you know, this was kind of a creative sandbox for Skip to try something different. I mean, you got it. And it wasn't a dud by any means. No. Yeah. I mean, and I've had a couple sitting for a couple months and I've smoked them recently. Yeah. Yeah. And they've performed better. So maybe it just needs to sit for a bit. I don't know. But even better. So I love I love how John said that it tasted like well-aged tobacco because Skip blasted me on cigar jukebox once for that. Why did he? What did he say? I'm trying to. Oh, so so it was long, long ago. And I was Uh talking about like, you know, flavor notes and this and that. And like, what does he think of flavor notes and like what, you know, when people. Oh, God, he's been whining about that again this week, too, by the way. And he went off. He was like, that's all a bunch of bullshit. It's all it's supposed to taste like is well-aged tobacco. That's it. Everything. Yeah, he's doing. He's been on a rant about that this week. I don't know if you've seen it. I was like, I won't do that. I don't even get I don't even engage in that discussion with him. It's like it's a useless discussion. Okay. So I love it when John, Fine. When John with the, went to his flavor notes and he's like, yeah. well, it tastes like well-aged fermented yeah. tobacco. Yeah. Here's what I'll say. If Skip wants to form a blog and review cigars and, and say that, I'll oh. still beat his numbers. So, ah, <laughs> oh, it's no one will read you, Skip. I'm sorry. Uh, I found it. I think I'm closer to John who quite liked it. I really like it as a cigar. I mean, I know it ha- it's not a perfect cigar, but I think it's quite good. Uh, I'll, I'll, ke- I'll keep buying it. Um, yeah, I agree. Uh, like I said, I think it's worth. I give you a Roma Craft fan. Yeah. Um, it's something you need to try. I. It's absolutely. Is it the best Roma Craft cigar? That's up to no. you to decide. That's up to yeah. you. Yeah. But it's still good. I mean, yeah. I. I don't think it tastes like well-aged tobacco. Skip. I'm sorry. I think it tastes a little <laughs> more. Nice. Yeah. I think. I think I find it a little stronger than Seth did, and I don't know if that's just like a the last third tolerance cigar, thing. I thought really kicked in. But he was sort of talking about it's. I don't know. I think he was talking about it was medium, medium full. I I found it a bit stronger than that. I but, agree, especially the last third. I thought it was closer to full. But that could be, like I said, that just could be our tolerance for strength and cigars. Absolutely, absolutely. I think everyone has a. You know, I listen to like Dave Garofalo's show, and his tolerance for strength is not the same as mine. I mean, so it is a subjective thing, and that's why I always say reviews are subjective because everyone's going to have a different perception of things. I definitely agree with Coop, and I think the guys kind of, I mean, Aaron, (laughs) but uh, most of the guys are kind of around the like, hey, if you like Roma Craft, give it a go. I think John was sort of saying that this is a cigar for the Roma Craft smoker. Yeah, I, um, that's why I was saying I agree 100% with that. Like I said, yeah. Um, if, if you're a Roma Craft fan, you need to try it. But I think if you're an EBC fan, you need to try it too. Uh, yeah. I, think it's, I, I don't think this is a cigar with Skip like basically signed a contract to get a blend out of the factory. I mean, you can see his no. hands in this thing. So, yeah, so yeah, yeah. And I think they said that too, that they could tell Skip was trying. Yeah. To you could definitely tell make a good cigar. So yeah. 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 Here we go. I, Ernie, I was, I yeah Ernie was telling me how Skip drove him crazy. Right. And then, oh, was was fun- yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. It was funny. Right. And then when I saw Skip at the show, I said, Hey, I was talking to Ernie about this cigar. He said, I bet he told you I was driving you. I was driving him crazy. Ah! And I said, you did. <laughs> so he said, uh-huh. yeah, but it was all good. He said, yeah. So, you know, so. It's a good cigar and and yeah, I like it. So that's good. Get it while you can. Yep. Um, that's all I got, Coop. Yeah, I I have a note about a DP review, but I would say let's save that for the next. We gotta show. save that because that's gonna be tons. I of want content. you to. Yeah, I just I saw that. that. I just saw that last night, and you need to look at that one and, and watch the video. Um, of this. I'd like cigar. to. I I did, I'd like to have the cigar so I could see how. I've yeah close yeah. It is. 
you haven't gotten it yet, right? No. Maybe I'll get some. I need to get some to review. So I have. I gotta get you a package. But yeah. But this they were one, not uh, uh, kind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So because uh, this cigar has got a a very it's a very polarizing cigar is what I'm gonna say. So uh, and and we'll just save it for the next time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but if you want to know what we're talking about, check out yeah. Developing Palettes on YouTube. Absolutely. Um, a- please a- do. Absolutely. Uh, now, I bet that the Fellowby Pellets guys are going to rip me for having this cigar, but I'm having it anyway. We Seth's ripped we, me for my we, cigars before. Okay, anyway. so creative freedom is what we give everyone on the Coop team. <laughs> we don't we do not do that. Um, so uh, we're, we're giving you creative freedom here, Dave. Not something I would smoke either, but creative freedom. You are, yeah. you, you have to have creative freedom. Otherwise, <laughs> just, what we do doesn't work. Yeah. So I have got now the show today is songs that deserve a second chance. Right. And this brand I'm giving a second chance because I had the Cigabun Coop and it was terrible. <laughs> it was a bad cigar. Um, I want And I rarely say cigars are terrible. Rarely. I what, smoked the four by seventy. What are we doing here? What are we doing here? <laughs> what yeah, well <laughs> that's the famous what are we doing here? One of Seth is uh, yeah. Where I told Seth I smoked the four by seventy torch, I liked it, and he was shocked and disgusted. Oh, he but, was horrified. He's still scarred. He still got scars <laughs> on that. But he did support me, you know, in liking it. Again, However, we, we we encourage creative freedom. You smoke what you want to smoke here. You know, we don't do that. And either. he's gonna blast me because I have the Malibu Rick Coop, Malibu Rick, right there. Uh, a if, uh, if Mattel is wa- if Mattel is watching, whoever. Ma- we are not. This is he's just smoking this. That's all of them. I'm just smoking it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know how they get away with it. Anyway, uh, it's a provider. You've, been, in, you've been into this. Yeah, you've been into this, sir. Yes. I okay. It's Maduro. Uh, I'll get into my final thoughts when we get to there. However, I have had this cigar before. Ordered it again in order to feature it on the show. So um, that gives you some idea. That I liked it because I don't like to. I guess the reason I ordered it in the first time is I don't like to like totally, you know, throw a brand under the bus coop. Like I like to give it another shot. I agree. I agree. So I'm like, oh, I'll give it a shot, and we will we will get to why uh, how it fits in. And it deserves a second chance, coop. Yep. Although if Seth is watching this, he probably fainted. Yep. Yep. Right now, that's all right. Aaron probably, you know. There goes my, there goes any chance I have of being on developing pallets right there no, gone. No, 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 no. They reviewed Cinnabon. <laughs> oh God, it's yeah. the best review ever. You know, uh, let me let me I'll, let me just kind of say something here because so obviously why why is it Malibu Rick covered as cigar news? We have to, I have to draw a line on Coop in terms yeah, of you got small batch releases, and the problem with a small batch release is if if people aren't reading about it three or four years from now. Yeah, it, it, it it's it's a lot of effort that you, we want people reading our reviews for years and years to come. So regular production or big time limiteds or or ongoing limiteds are much more conducive. That that is the now the other thing is I am staying away from some of the trade trademark stuff on, on Coop News. Yeah. So there's a lot of reasons for that. I'm not going to get into that, but but uh, we are we do support the PC. I support the PCA in that one. So yeah, I mean uh, it's yeah like like to get to to, to defend not reviewing because I know DP probably won't do it either. <laughs> I mean, I think they did sing about it just because there's so much hype around it. Yeah. But uh, it's like the the way he does these cigars is like they're in and they're out. Like they're in and they're gone. So, I yeah, mean, right, like right. you said, so, 
if so you check it, this review in a year, you're like, what's Tall Guys even talking now, about? Now, if he releases this cigar five, six years in a row, guess yeah. what? Then I've made a mistake. Then you made, yeah. I made and a mistake, but I, can't, I don't have no way of knowing it. I have no way of knowing that. Yeah. yeah. You can review it then. Like, it's yeah. not like, you know. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, what are you smoking, Coop? I've had that cigar. I like that cigar. So this is also falling into the theme of second chances. Uh, I'm smoking the Saga Tomo 6. Uh, Short Tales Tomo 6. Excuse me. Uh, this is from De Los Reyes Cigars. This is a San Andreas Maduro Dominican binder with Dominican, Nicaraguan, and North American fillers and a 55 by 58 Um, I did drop the cigar right at the beginning of the show. I have a tiny crack, but... Um, so I, I reviewed this cigar in 2018 when it came out. I'd heard a lot of good things about it. It got a very good 90 on Coop. Solid 90. Um, which is good, but, it, you know, yeah. didn't like hey. the world. Like, I don't want to say anything like, yeah. it wasn't top 25. It missed the top 25, no. right? But I did smoke this cigar several months later in the following year, 2019. Mm. And this cigar just went to the next level. Um, it, it scored a 93 and it landed as my number one cigar because Ooh. I get, and had I not done that second review on it, right. Given it, it would not have been the number one cigar. Now, how did mm. I make that determination? There was, I thought the, people were, this people really liked this cigar when it came out. So, um, yeah. So it, it uh, got a second chance. So I said, let me give it a nose, a whirl, give it a little age and see what happens on it. And this went number one. Um, I was at the Delos Race Factory and I saw all the people like who would like a lot of you know, people worked at smoking the cigar. And it just warmed my heart when I saw that. Yeah. Mm. And this is their masterpiece. This is their uh, the Delos Race is known as growers primarily. They grow right. a lot of Dominican tobacco for a lot of people. Um they have they make some brands for other people, most notably Debonair. Uh it's mm. probably the one everyone knows. But they have their own brand, which is Saga. And Saga's got a following. And but it this was yeah, so this got a second chance and it ended up getting cigar of the year. Not, yeah, I think I've had that cigar. It's a great me, cigar. I I have I have not I mean, even Aaron Nielsen went and bought a box of these based on my number one. He liked it. Oh yeah. Yeah, so. so let's let's talk about so I thought of this theme that I approached Coop with second chance songs mm-hmm. when I was in the car. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of our best ideas come in the car, by the way. Yeah, so I'm in the car and I'm waiting for my daughter to come home or, or come over from school. And I'm thinking like I'm listening to music and I'm like, what was that song that um, Phoebe Bridges covered? And I'm looking, I'm like, oh, it was that Goo Goo Dolls song? Yeah, which we'll get to. And I played it. I'm like, man, the song is good. Then I thought, like, that cover really gave the song a second chance because it sort of fell out of favor and people totally forgot about it. Right, right. Uh, But it's a great song. And people listen to the cover like, wow, this song is great. And they went back to it. And I'm like, oh, well, what what cigar, what what songs deserve a second chance? And Mm -hmm. the sort of songs I thought about were songs that were either trashed a lot of them you'll see like trash, like by my generation right. or like generationally trashed as that artist is cheesy. Like, forget it. Disregarded by fans. So like, oh, that was their, you know, bad album or that was d- disregarded by fans being like, you know, like, say Metallica, for example, when they put out 
the Black Album fans were like, oh, that was too. They're they're going they're going into pop. Forget it. Right. The hardcore fans. But then later on, that album has been really highly revered. Yeah. As time has gone on. Yep. Um. Or Coop, I had like totally forgotten. Like they were a hit at the time, and then they just sort of like fell off the planet. Yes. And people didn't I have think about those, them again. I have a yeah. one in particular that really fell off the planet. Yeah. Like they came out and they were huge, yep. but then like totally fell off the face of the earth. Yeah, I agree. Um, and that could be because some of the ones I have, it's because those artists put out even bigger songs later and they forgot about those ones. Or they got so overplayed that people just didn't want to hear it anymore. Yeah. And we've talked about that as a problem uh-huh. uh, for songs in the past. Absolutely. Because those sort of my sort of like my parameters that I was working with. Like, what, what did you think? Like your first thoughts of this exercise? I went a little. I went a little different about this, right? Um, because we did something a few weeks ago where we talked about songs that we grew on us, right? Yeah. So I wanted to kind of keep. I want not to re- duplicate that exercise, but I looked at this kind of. Less about me, although there's a couple that I think are about me in here, right? Yeah, right. But most of the time, it was le- this was more less about me and more about how this song was received, right? So it's subjective. It's very because I had to look at was it a hit beforehand? Was it a hit after? Was it a bigger hit beforehand? Uh, I had to look at that. So it is a subjective exercise. But I did. I tried to separate most of this from me in this, and I think you'll see that, right? But I looked at what are the factors that brings a song back to life, right? I, I came up with five things, okay? Oh, yeah, I love it. Now, you hit the first one. Timing is everything, okay? Mm-hmm. A song could fall out of favor because it's out of step with the times, and then it's revisited later on, right? So, or the song is already out of touch with the times, but it kind of in a retro movement kind of gets movement later on. So that's one way. Sometimes it's because of other works being done by that artist. Where I have one that is a deep cut that really didn't come to life till about almost 40 years later, like over 35 mm-hmm. years later, you know, a deep mm-hmm. cut um, just because it was buried right in, in, in here. Mm-hmm. So there's politics. Now, what I mean, I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about presidential. Politics. I'm talking about the politics, record company politics. Is the yeah. song getting played? Is, is it getting the airplay? Right? Yeah, 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 the, yeah. Or something like that. Is the song getting the air? Because that was a big thing. Airplay was huge. You go back, you know, as 20, 30 years ago, airplay was a big part. But then mm-hmm. a lot a lot of times this wasn't getting the airplay. And then at times the airplay played into this. Yeah. You know, so that was a, that these politics were going on. There was one case where the song I'm gonna talk about wasn't released. Like like one of the artists was fighting uh-huh. to release the song. The song didn't get released. And then almost 30 years later, the song becomes a monster, right? So we'll, we'll mm. talk about that. There's tweaking. And I think you already talked about, you know, a cover is fine. But I have a couple where the song was remixed slightly. Not right. Okay. Tw- yeah. Not bastardized, but slightly. And when it was tweaked, it became a much bigger hit. Um, mm. And then the other one is commercialization. So I've seen songs mm. come back to life from, from just being on commercials. Mm. If it's on a commercial... And particularly these Super Bowl commercials have done a lot of these, right? It it, it kind of puts the song back in and people kind of say, you know what? I remember that song. And maybe they didn't give it a shot there, but maybe it's not such a bad song. And, you know, you've matured or things like that. So I think there's a lot of ways these songs can come back. I'm a big, by the way, I, I believe in second chances in general in life. So mm-hmm. I do think 
I always want to give second chances. It's when you get third or fourth is kind of when I kind of lose yeah, my patience. But, but I, but I yeah. believe in a second chance concept in general in life. Uh, everyone makes a mistake. Things just don't work out the first time, and that shouldn't be written off uh, with that. Mm. So that's what I have. Nice. Are the commercialization I love because like Apple product like um, commercials are are famous for that. Yeah, putting Absolutely. some songs in there that all of a sudden people are searching like, what's that song in the Apple commercial? And they, yeah. you know, you know, yeah, I've seen that. You know, you know, one one um, ABC Network in the U.S. is good at it too. Like when yeah. they're promoting their their shows and their con their their, their entertainment content, they'll sometimes throw a, a track up. Uh, and it's not even related to the show at all. So, but yeah. I've seen it come back as well with that. I mean, I don't have it in here, but like soundtracks, similarly, like I know, like a lot of Quentin Tarantino soundtracks. Yeah, I, Dave, I people, thought like of, Jungle Boogie. People are like, whoa, yeah. what is that? I almost went with something off my. I didn't go with anything off Miami Vice, but Miami Vice, yeah, um, was a was a very good show with that. There's another show. I'm not going to give that one away just yet. That is in there, but Miami Vice brought a lot of artists back to life. Um, China Beach. China well. Beach was yeah China, uh you know there was this Genesis song I didn't put on the list it was called Just a Job to Do, and it was off the Genesis album it was a deep cut and people it was a good track people didn't know it and then some TV show that tried to rip off Miami Vice tried to use it as the theme song oh no right right there was a there was a rip off Miami Vice song called the, the I think it was called the Insiders or something like that and it was just it, it wasn't even close to Miami Vice it was a train wreck <laughs> but the music but they used that as a theme song which is pretty cool so. So I'm gonna kick us off. But go ahead. Yep. The number, the one, the song that inspired it, which is Google Dolls Iris. Yeah. Oh, I love this song. I love this song of the movie yeah. it was in. Yeah. It was great. It came out in the late '90s, and it was huge. It was a huge song, right? Yep. At the time, and then it was sort of, as we moved into the 2000s, sort of cast off as like, oh, that's that like '90s wannabe Nirvana trash. Right. Like, kind right. of got lumped in. To a lot of those like Nirvana clone bands around that time, right? And it's like, oh, that's part of that, and it kind of yeah. got discarded. Yeah. And then Phoebe Bridgers covered it and gave it a new lease on life, and it's a great song. It's been getting a lot of good critical yeah. Uh, attention. Yeah. So this that that song is what kicked it off. That the Google Dolls song. By the way, the, the Google Dolls just are a band. I think they they they're look. I I've I. The Blue Balls are an incredible live band, by the way. I'm just telling you, they perform. They fall a little short with me. As, and Iris is one of my favorite tracks. They just fall a little short as Hall of Famers for me. They oh, yeah. They got, a, a they, got a, they got a Christmas album coming out, Coop. Oh, yeah. I mean, John Resnick, there's one Google Goss concert. They're from they're a Buffalo-based band, and they're doing this performance in the rain. I mean, in a driving rainstorm. And that always will make a band in my book, is if you can perform in the worst weather conditions, yeah. Like Prince, you know, you 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 you've you've got my respect. I I really like the Goo Goo Dolls. I think they they're a little short as Hall of Famers in my book, but but they've done some great work. Yeah, and that Iris, that movie City of Angels, I cried. It's one of the few movies I ever cried during. It City of Angels made me cry. It's a great movie. Great track. Yeah. Uh, your first one, Coop. I listened to the song and like, this gets into your commercialization sort of yeah. thing. So I was like, oh yeah, yeah. I I know this. Yeah. One. Yeah, the song is Best of My Love, and the band is The Emotions. So The Emotions were one of these disco girl groups that came out in the, in the late 70s, right? 
And this was a pretty popular disco song. Um, and if people don't know, it was actually written, co-written by Maurice White, who is the leader of Earth, Wind & Fire. Um, mm. And it was a popular song. It was on the radio. It was in the dance clubs. It was a disco song. But when disco died, um, the song kind of just disappeared. Mm. Like, it really did. It, you know, I didn't hear anyone talk about it. Um, when Boogie Nights came out in 1997, it got a little bit of a bump because it was featured in Boogie Nights. But there was so much other music in Boogie Nights that overshadowed this one. It didn't really make the comeback, right? But this year, this song is making a huge comeback, right? Um, I think a lot of it has to do with Paul Russell's uh, Little Bootang, which I love that song. Um, he samples he samples this song in there. And it's kind of led to a much big renaissance with this with this song. This song's being played a lot because of Little Bootang. But uh, it's, it's made a comeback, in my opinion. Uh, and you mentioned commercials. It's on commercials right yes. now. Yes. So you, you it's, and that's what's happened. I think, I think that sample brought it back. I think that sample intrigued enough people because the the line they sample, what's sampled in there is just enough to whet the appetite to say, you know what, this was a re- this was a really good song, and uh, the emotions, like I think, were I was I was really surprised they never became a bigger band. I you know, but they were they were one of the girl they were a girl group of the seventies that kind of got forgotten about. Oh yeah, I mean, I think when people hear the chorus, definitely they'll they'll know the song. Yeah, great song. Yeah, Da-da-da. it's very it's a it's a catchy it's a hooky. But I remember in seventy seven it was a pretty popular song. But it really, I think this song kind of like I said it was buried and and it really wasn't until Boogie Nights where I heard it again. But other song like I said Boogie Nights, which is I think one of the great music movies, that um the other things overshadowed it. it it's it's this mm. comeback this summer of this song. Um, has been big, so I think it's really open. Oh, I've had people ask me about this song. Uh, you know, you know, what do I know about this song and the record? So it, it's, I think it's intrigued people right now. And in mm. fact, commercials have it in the commercials. Are I, I forget the, I, I should remember the commercial has it. I think ABC actually has a commercial with it too. Oh, there's tons probably. Yeah, it's being used. Yeah, so it it made a nice comeback. Um. My next one, Coop, Madonna Borderline. I know I've talked I about... had this one and you had it, but this was a great pick. I'm glad you We've picked it. We talked about this in I think we talked about I think I had Holiday in the past. But this um, was the pick. This was the right pick on this one. If I gonna... picked Borderline because if you look uh, Madonna's debut album, self-titled album in 83, I believe, had a ton of hits on it. It had Borderline, Holiday, Lucky Star, like it had a ton of hits, right? Yeah. And then, um, like a virgin came out and obliterated and everything. This album got forgotten about when like a virgin came. Out. I can tell you that. Yeah. Yeah. So this album has been totally forgotten about, and to the point where people think that, uh, that like a virgin is her debut record. They don't really. And people think this is her debut song, and it's not either. Yeah. So so I picked Borderline because it's one of those hits that at the time was huge, but then was totally, and I have a couple of these on here, that because of her later work was just totally forgotten. And it's largely not even, like that album isn't talked about hardly at all. This um, album, it's my second favorite Madonna album. Um, it's, 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 it's archaeology worthy, by the way, too. I'll say that. 
Um, but it's a great, you know, I love all the songs, but Borderline was the fifth single released off this album. Oh. And but Borderline was building a little bit. So Borderline was building up as, as this album came out. Borderline was like the song that got forgotten about. You know, it was Holiday and Lucky Star. And then Borderline kind of gets released uh, right, right before Like a Virgin came out. And Borderline kind of became very radio friendly. And it really at that point, this, this song got recognized. Uh, I think people gave this a second chance for sure at that point. But if you think about like. Any other album that performed that well to just get totally forgotten about is crazy. Absolutely. Really. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like today, if people, if you ask people to name 10 Madonna songs, you know, they ain't naming it. They ain't naming it. But it did. It <laughs> did. But I think it, I'm surprised it hasn't gotten. I think at some point we're going to see a resurgence with this song, too, in some capacity. I so. I mean, like um, I said, when just, it came just, out, it got the second chance. That's my point. It, I it, mean, there's too many hits on that record to have those songs not come back. You know what right. I mean? But, yeah, but this was definitely a, a second chance because, like I said, it was the fifth. It ended up being the fifth single. Mm. Yeah. And it's the one I think that broke her through more than Lucky. Lucky Star broke her through mm. someone. Borderline took her onto the adult contemporary station. That's what, that's what people don't realize. Borderline took her onto almost every radio station in the country. Lucky Star, I think, was top 40, but I started hearing Borderline on uh, the adult contemporary stations, and I think that was the one that got the chance to do that. Next track here, Coop. All right. All right. This is, uh, I'm in the, I'm yeah. in the 80s. The song is center field. The artist is John Fogarty. Mm. So this was the title track from John Fogarty's center field album. And this I remember when this started coming out. This album, this is in the hot. This is in the heyday of pop, pop. Right, Madonna's "Like a Virgin" is coming out. Prince's "Purple Rain" had just come out. Now, "Around the World" the day's coming out. Uh, Lionel Richie's "Can't Slow Down." Tina Turner's uh, "Private Day." I mean, we're on and on. It's all and Fogarty kind of does his first album in nine years because he. He was really he had issues with the record business. He had some legal disputes and stuff like that. Mm. And he just kind of got away from it. So he comes out with an album that's that's really you could argue is way out of step with the times. Right. Yeah. I mean, this has a 60s vibe, this album. okay. And um, surprisingly, the album ended up going number one. It went number one on the charts, right on the on the on the Mm. billboard hot. Hot uh, 100, you know, album chart. There were a couple of songs that charted on, on this on the Billboard charts, and it got radio airplay. The first was "The Old Man Down the Road," and the second was "Rock and Roll Girls." Two nice songs, right? Mm. Centerfield was a B single off of "Rock and Roll Girls," which was the second single. So by this point, Centerfield already got number one. A lot of people were listening to those two two tracks, and Centerfield's the B side, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, uh, but this song started to get a little air. What happened is this song started to get airplay. It was starting to be played at baseball games, right? Yeah. And Fogarty actually drew inspiration for this song, uh, from center field at Yankee Stadium because he was a San Francisco Giants fan and they didn't have a great, they, you know, they hadn't had anyone since really Willie Mays, right? For a while, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, it was, uh, so he starts, he starts, um, you know, this song starts to get airplay. And then the big thing, Dave, this started being played at baseball games in the summer. Yeah. And that's where this song, like I said, it was it was a while since the album came out. 
and this song got a second chance. And I think today it's of that album. This is the it, this is the most well known song of it, right? Um, he even is the only artist to play uh, at the Baseball Hall of Fame. By the way, this a song he has played this song. Mm. Um, and the here's the other thing. This song has the famous line, "Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play." And yeah, Alec from Fogarty's break from the music business, and coming in at a point where this album was completely like out of step. And I think Dave, the breakthrough of this album helped bring down the whole synth pop thing in the eighties. I think this album had a lot to do with it. It's a great album. Uh, it, every track on this album is great, by the way, Center, but this track is the one that stands out. Got a second chance, and I think to this day it's a popular baseball song. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But no, didn't start great, out like hey. it didn't start out like that. Yeah. No, great pick. It's definitely yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going with. I thought this was a good one. Uh, Public Enemy. By the time I get to Arizona, yeah. So this is a great song. This is off Apocalypse '91. Um, and it was big when it came out. The record was big when it came out. This track was big when it came out. It's got a great beat. It's Chuck D's great on it. It's about how Martin Luther King Day was not a holiday in Arizona. Um, and it's sort of about the race and 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 issues around that. Yep. And it was great. And people love this album. This album was great. But I think over time people gravitate more towards the albums before it, which are fear of a black planet, which is huge. And they're yeah. like, you know, seminal album and nation of takes a nation of millions to hold us back. Um, and this album apocalypse 91 gets largely lost, but I think this, 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 uh, this is one of those forgotten albums that I think deserves another look. Cause it's, it's, yeah. it's a great record. It is. It um, is. This was a good, yeah. And it's just got it's got a great beat. It's got this fuzzy guitar. Chuck D is great on it. So, like I said, it was it was kind of that example of a huge when it came out, and then over time, it kind of got lost to history. Really, yeah. That whole record, I think, yeah, has. But yep. No, it's a good pick. Like I said, it's one you should definitely give a second chance to. Oh yeah, yeah. Especially if you're a, a Public Enemy, yeah, fan. Oh, now this is interesting. This artist too. Like recently, I think a lot of his stuff has kind of fallen yeah. by the wayside. Yeah. And I'm not a fan of this artist. I'm going to be very honest. <laughs> I know you're not either. Yeah. But this artist Pat, has his yeah. fallen. But this artist has mm -hmm. his fallen. The song is Glad Tidings, and the artist is Van Morrison. Mm. Now, I have, I, have, I, I have tried to embrace what is perceived as the greatness of Van Mars. I just have it. Okay. <laughs> but he does have some interesting songs, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, Brown Eyed Girls obviously is, uh, it's from his debut album. Um, but, but one of the albums that is his third album, Moon Dance is considered like one of his masterpieces. Mm. Um, and it's got some songs like Moon Dance, Come Running and Crazy Love. They get all the notoriety, right? Uh, but there's this Glad Tidings is a song that's buried on this album. Okay. And, you know, as, as time has gone on, I've not ever, I, I, this song I hadn't really heard. I mean, I'm a Van Morrison guy. I didn't really know about this song, okay? Um, it's an interesting song because it's about uh, a period of when Morrison was living in New York City. Uh, and he, and a, a friend of his ordered him a letter from London, and he uh, had written on the envelope, Glad Tidings from London. Uh, so he wrote back, Glad Tidings from New York. Right? So, yeah. and that's where he got the idea for the song. Now. This song was on the Moondance album. I think this is like a 1970 album, right? 
mm-hmm. in 2004, this song is brought to life. It's a good song, by the way. It's a good song. This is the way Mars and I, and it, it was brought back on the Sopranos. Yes. So, if you haven't seen, if you haven't seen, there's a famous scene where Tony Soprano has to kill his cousin Tony Blondetto, right? And the music is used to set up the the whack. Uh, and basically, in the scene is it's taking place in upstate New York. So there's the New York tie tie here. Uh, Tony Blondetto, the cousin, is like hiding, and he's out getting groceries. And this music's playing as he's driving his car with the groceries and he's getting out of his car. And at the point when the music stops, Tony Sprout takes one shot with a, with, a, with a rifle and blasts. Like, he's dead. He's done, right? Yeah. And this song totally changed the game with Van Morrison. It became a very popular. I also think it's one of the most popular songs ever on The Sopranos because of that scene. People, this song, everyone knew this song. It got a second chance because of this. Van Morrison, who did a concert um, a few years later, talked about how this The Sopranos, talked about how The Sopranos brought this song back to life and gave it a second chance. So, and and in my personal opinion, it's my favorite Van Van Morrison song. I'm not a big Van Morrison. I, I would take this song over any other Van Morrison song, it's a great song. I, uh, the horns that he used, I think Van Morrison's vocals are pretty good on there. Um, so Glad Tidings, I think, is be, uh, because of the commercialization of The Sopranos, brought this song back to life. Nice. Y'all, there's so many shows have done that. Um, we got to do a show just on that, just on shows. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, the two shows, are, are Miami Vice did it too. I mean, you think the shows that have done that, you think Miami Vice, you think, um, I mean, Lost, when Lost used to do that, yeah. have really big ones. Yeah. yeah. You think, like I said, China Beach. China Beach. Um, was, yeah. Uh, yeah, Miami Vice. Miami uh, Vice created, I think, cre- I think Miami Vice put Glenn Fry on the map as a solo artist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He, he, was, he was only just the guy from the Eagles. He was a solo artist that, coming out of that show. Uh, mm-hmm. Genesis got a huge bump, and Phil got a bump, as we know. Mm. Uh, the next one ties into our music news coop, and that's Hall and Oates with Rich Girl. Uh, I heard this in a pizza place the other day, and I was like, "Wow, this is a great song." Um, I think this goes into the the idea of my, songs that were tossed out by my generation. Yeah. So when we hit the '90s and had Nirvana and all this, it was sort of like, "Oh, Hall and Oates." All that style of music, that blue-eyed soul, all that stuff. It's just, you know, cheesy trash. My, you know, yeah. we don't need to listen to that. That music was terrible. It was all corporate rock or whatever. And we sort of, like, anything from that era, we kind of just, like, threw out. And we'll yeah. get to the next one. It sort of fits that as well. Um, but now, coming back to it, it's like, wow, that's a great song. So I think for my generation, it's definitely a song that deserves another chance. Um you know, because Hall Notes largely got thrown out as like, oh, that's cheesy, you know. It, uh, it, but that yeah. song's great. It's a great song. It, it, it is a great song. Uh, and I see a lot of people kind of go back to this song right now. Uh, mm. I would definitely put it in my top five of Hall & Oates songs. Mm. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it's a tremendous song. Um, and uh, just, yeah, it. I love the harmonies on that song. It's just amazing. Mm. I hope they still Which, perform it someday. You know, I hope they get. I, well, yeah, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Now your next song, Coop, is like I love this pick. I love it. I adore it. This might be a third chance, technically. It's a great pick though. Okay. Uh the band is the Jim Blossoms and the song is Hey Jealousy. Oh, it's a great pick. I think this was a four year I think this was a four year journey this song had. It really took a while for this song to come. So the Jim Blossoms and Dave, you can correct me. I would consider Jim Blossoms kind of an offshoot of grunge, but they 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 had this sound which was called the Arizona sound. Like they were an Arizona, these Arizona bands were kind of these offshoot grunge bands that were coming, and the Jim Blossoms were one of these bands that had a had a big following in Arizona, and that's where they were mm-hmm. from. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like you had the Seattle grunge, but you had this Arizona kind of thing going on too. Um, they come out with a debut album. And on that debut album, there's two songs that are well-known to the Jim Blossoms uh, are Hey Jealousy and Found Out About You. Kind of two songs that were, um, and they were on a debut album called Dusted, which went nowhere, this album. Um, So they kind of get another record contract three years later, and they create their their album called New Miserable Experience, which I wonder if it was just like, like we got to do this again after Dusted failed. Yeah. Um, and and I went with Hate Jealousy over Found Out About You because I think it's the more impactful song here. Uh, yes. it's, a, it's a song that was inspired about uh, from Doug Hopkins, who's the uh, guitarist who uh, wanted to get back together with his girlfriend who had left him because of his drinking and cheating. So it was very a personal song. That's they a problem. So they release it on New new Miserable Experience, and it bombs. It bombs again. Like, it doesn't... It doesn't... It doesn't happen again, right? Um... I think some politics played into this because they didn't, because what happened is this Arizona sound started getting like the Arizona sound started getting some air. The song started getting airplay all of a sudden and it gets a second push in 1993. It's re-released for a third time now, uh, this time as a single. And the, there wasn't a radio station that wasn't playing this song at this point, right? It was being played all over the place. Um, and all of a sudden, the Jim Blossoms were coming out of nowhere, and it was just like, like, like huge success. It, this be this is their signature song. This is the yeah. song like at the concert. This is their signature song, and it's a great song. It's a great song, in my opinion. It's kind of uh, grunge meets pop a bit. Um, and uh, yeah, so I in in this song took a while for me to kind of embrace it. Because I wasn't yeah. sure. I, I just wasn't sure even about the Jim Blossoms, even when they were starting to get that push. But it's a great song. I uh, it, it's gonna come up in my uh, some of my songs as well. The uh, problem with this song is timing. Any band that came out and had an album before, you know, a couple years before 1991 with Nevermind is like just got steamrolled. You, yeah, I you didn't know, put into saw that. The Ozzy Osbourne's record. Yeah. Um. Any band that was trying to do that grunge sound, this was immediately disregarded. Yeah. So the song was, I think this, I remember the song, maybe not the album doing well, but the song people liked when it came out. And then it was like totally forgotten about within a year. Yeah. <laughs> it's like gone. It really, um, it gets forgotten about yeah. in the 90s, if you think about that's it. That's a problem. That's like a it, problem. It does. It's, and it's, um, like I said, it's a great song. It's a great, great song. Uh, and you're right. I think I think the the impact of this coming out, like they were in parallel with Nirvana. That's not. And good. I think eventually, when they, I think when grunge kind of became more, 
I don't like these words. When 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 top forty broke down, <laughs> yeah, this yeah. song got an opportunity. When they had this third chance, that's why I think they did the third push, and it started getting the airplay. And I think that I think this was politics and timing played into both of this one here. Well, if you think about it, the only band to survive the Nirvana release was Pearl Jam. I mean, that was the only band, really. Yeah. Pearl Jam. I mean, you could say Metallica survived, but they took like years off from recording. Yeah. And Foo Fighters were later. Foo Fighters were later. Foo Fighters so were later. Yeah, so you can't. I mean, hip hop was doing its own thing, and that, you know, and they, they were thriving at this time yeah. as well. But, but like, the only rock band to survive was, was them, really. Yeah. Like I said, Top 40 was completely disintegrating at this oh, point, gone. too. It was gone. So it was gone. I do, like, what you thought about Top 40, it was a formula. That formula was, was completely busted at this point. So it was really uh, everyone was kind of kind of scrambling for their place at that point. Um, and and my my next artist fits in the Hall of Oats mode, but this song has gotten a big revival through like oh yeah, it was in like three movies or something. Yeah, uh, and it's John Denver's "Take Me Home, Country Roads," yeah, which is a phenomenal song. But for a long time, John Denver was that cheesy guy that like you know your parents listen to or whatever, or you know, he's just he's just like ultimate folk cheese. Like, you know, he was a punchline. It, it had know? its. Yeah. I mean, it, it fell out of step with the times. Yeah. This song. So so that totally fell off. He was known as the guy that did songs on the Muppets and and like his songs weren't seen as cool. And this is from the generation that grew up with Nirvana. That was like nothing pre 89 was cool anymore. Um, and. Now this song is sort of John Denver in general is sort of getting a revival. Like yeah. this song, like I said, it was in like three or four movies. It's getting a huge revival. John Denver's music's being looked at differently and getting a lot of like my daughter even likes this song. <laughs> and and uh and yeah, and it's it's sort of this is a song that's got a big second chance. And I think his his work in general is getting more of a second chance uh any, now. Any song got a big push with commercials. I remember that. Yeah. Any song was getting a big push. But Dave, you remember, like, if you go back to 1987, right? Remember, there was a little yep. bit of a folk revival. Like, I'm thinking of there, Suzanne Vega in particular. Yep, yep, right? yep, yep, yep. This, this, even then, this song was like, oh, this is a song. This guy's washed up. This was parents to them. Oh. It didn't. It didn't get the momentum. Then he dies, and I still don't think his songs got the momentum. Right? It, no. It, it, it was in a couple. Time. It was in a couple movies. Yeah. Like the gentleman, it was in. It was in yeah. some other stuff. People were like, oh, yeah. And I think his whole, I think this song getting a second chance has sort of revived his whole yep. career now. Yeah, I agree. Um, which is interesting. Now, this next song of yours, I love this song, and it's an excellent pick. And I wish I picked it. This was this was the first song I had off my list. I went Ooh. alphabetical about it. Um, this is just a masterpiece, right? The song is Silver Springs, and oh. the artist is Fleetwood Mac. Oh, so you got to go back to rumors, okay? They're do the Fleetwood Mac's putting together rumors. This is a song um about a lot of raw emotions in terms of all the band members are going through. It's well known. Uh, the McVees are going through a divorce. Uh, Lindsey Buckingham. That's not Steve, good. Yeah, Lindsey <laughs> Buckingham and Stevie Nicks are breaking up, right? And they're they're doing this album, and and a lot of songs on the album reflected what was going on with the members of the band. They wore their hearts on the sleeves and rumors comes out. And it, but this song doesn't make the album. OK, it doesn't make the album. Uh, despite Stevie, this is Stevie's song. 
she wanted this song so badly on the album, the record company told her no, right? They threw her a bone, and it was released as the B-side of Go Your Own Way. But believe mm-hmm. me, this song didn't have any life, okay? Um, and, you know, again, so 21 years later, in 1997, Fleetwood Mac kind of gets back together when I believe Lindsey Buckingham's trying to do one of his aborted solo albums that never got out, right? He's trying to do an album. He calls Mick Fleetwood to kind of cook drums. Uh, I think the next thing is, the next thing is John McVie comes in for bass, and then eventually they get all five members back, right? And yep. they produce this live studio album hybrid called The Dance. The Dance. And Silver Springs makes it on there. And like I said, it's, it's a combination of live music with some studio, a couple of studio songs, I think, but it's mostly live music. And there is a live performance of Silver Springs included on the album. I really think it was the music video that put this over the top. So in the music video, there's a performance of this song. And on the stage, I'm and I have a little story I'll tell about this. So when they get into the like when you get into the meat of this song, you could see Stevie Nicks's mm. emotions. It's sorrow turned to anger. And she's directing it right yeah. at Lindsay Buckingham. I mean, that's right. Like, like, uh, she's, uh, he, she is like looking right at him and, and singing these lyrics to him. And I remember I watched this with my five-year-old daughter, the video. Yeah. And, and I'm like, I don't. She had. She says to me one day. She goes, "Dad, she still loves him." Like I don't oh, know what. what at five, I said I, she didn't even know to do. I said, "Wow!" I said this kid was picking this up. Like she didn't know about the history of this album at all. Like she didn't know what they would. She goes, mm-hmm. "She still loves him." She said, five year old kids picks this up, right?" <laughs> um, and this becomes. I guess this this song has become a staple of Fleetwood Mac concerts forever. Uh, there's a lot of other live cuts of this song that have been done on, on the Live in Boston album. It's a, a lot of concerts. Obviously, we're not going to get this anymore. Uh, but what a song, Dave. I mean, how did this song not make? I would have dumped secondhand news for this song. Yeah, I would have dumped secondhand I, news for this song. I'm so I like secondhand I, news. Don't get me wrong. It's a great song. Yeah. Uh, I love the song. Yeah. Uh I have to say, I I was reading this, listening to this song, and the chorus is just so phenomenal. Uh, it's haunting. Um, it's a haunt. Oh, she, she, it, it's 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 sorrow to haunting to anger. It's like oh, yeah. and her voice is so good on it. I uh, this record, I've noticed just being out and about in the world and at concerts and stuff. You know how they play music, yeah, before the opening act, just as yeah. people are coming in and hanging yeah. out. People are playing a lot of rumors and a lot of Stevie Nicks solo, like Belladonna, like a lot. Stevie Nicks is getting a bit of a second chance or a bit of a revival. I, I agree. All of a sudden. You know, and when when they brought back Fleetwood Mac, right? Christy McVie does the dance album, but then she leaves. Right. Yep. So there's only and it gave Stevie the opportunity to bring some of her solo material into Fleetwood Mac. They gave like stand back is something that was played at Fleetwood Mac concerts for over twenty years. After that happened, so after the dance, you start and stand back. You put the whole band in with stand back. It, it brings that song to now the next level. So God, I mean, I love, Stevie, yeah. Stevie was. De- I mean, look, Christine passed away. She was great, but Stevie, I mean, the contributions that she did in that band were and and this this is just a crime that this song 
was not on the Rumors album. I, I mean, it's on the deluxe editions, but it wasn't on that original album. You got to remember. It's getting a big, it's getting a big, uh, big resurgence. I, I'm still wondering if something happens and they bring back Lindsay at some point because now he's his health is getting better. We'll see. Maybe I, I don't know. I mean, like I say to people, we we saw Harry Styles a couple years ago. He did chains uh, as an encore. Yeah, <laughs> like Harry Styles. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so yeah, it's getting huge. Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah. My next one is is similar to Madonna, and that's Beyonce with Countdown. Yeah. So this is off Beyonce Four, which is like the forgotten Beyonce record. I agree. Yeah, because. This is a- yeah, because the record that comes out after this is her self-titled Beyonce that sort of changed everything from her. It was a totally, like, redid her sound. She drops that. She rockets to superstardom. And then she puts out Lemonade. And then she puts out Renaissance. You know, and it's so, you know, and hit, you know, on and on it goes. Yeah. But this is a huge song when it came out. She, it got steamrolled by her own release. Uh, it's got, it, it, it has a lot of, like, the stuff that, that people are loving about Beyonce. And now it has like the drum line is in it. It's got a lot of great stuff in it, um, but it's largely forgotten and deserves a second chance because its own, like the, 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 the latest releases just totally overshadow this record. Yeah. Cause people either go like way early, right? Like you're looking at Halo and stuff like that, or they're looking at, you know, later they kind of missed this this record. This yeah, record. I agree. This was a this was a good pick here. But no one thinks of that record. No one thinks of that record. Like and, yeah, this exist. is a good one. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like Madonna. It's like because of her success. It's like it's you know it just totally overshadows it. Ah, uh, yeah. This was a, yeah. I agree with you on this. This is kind of a timing thing. I think a lot of it had a lot to do mm. with this. Yeah. Because I think beyond, I think her self titled record comes out like two years later or something. Oh, three yeah. years later. It was like three years later, I believe. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, I like how you fit this next artist in here. He. He. I mean, I think a lot of his early work, this next artist of yours, could could fall into this category as well. Like yeah. when when it came out, got disregarded, it's cheesy, and now like. Yeah. Pretty good. Um. But this was kind of a weird one. So this is a deep cut. I went with a deep cut with this artist. It's a song probably no one's heard of this song unless you have the album. Or you've seen this artist in concert. The song is called "The Only One," and the artist is Lionel Richie. Love so, it. Lionel Richie's can—it's on the "Can't Slow Down" album, which is his masterpiece. That's the—that's the album mm-hmm. beat out "Purple Rain" for album of the year. So it was and this crazy. was crazy. This was a monster album. He had five top tens, not top forties, top tens off this album. Right? <laughs> um, but what was interesting is the way they were releasing the singles is they were kind of giving this kind of a second chance theme going on with the singles unrelated to this song. So Lionel Richie comes out with the songs on Can't Slow Down, but all the B-sides were songs off his previous album, the Lionel Richie album, which is pretty much known for that album You Are and Truly, right? But there were all these other B-sides that were included with with deep cuts from the first album, right? So gave those songs a second chance. So this, the only one, never got released as a single, right? Um, it's a very synthesized ballad. It has. I talked about David Foster on the last show. Mm. David Foster was a, a synth keyboard player and producer. You know, he has a distinct sound. If you listen to Saint Elmo's Fire music, 
you hear that that David Foster influence, right? That keyboard, that synthesizer, and that's what this song's gonna have on it. It's a ballad, right? But this song mm. started being played at Lionel Richie concerts many years ago. Not it never got airplay. It never got um it wasn't released as a B side, but it is an absolute staple at a Lionel Richie. If you go to a Lionel Richie concert, you hear this song, and it's a great it's one of his great ballads, is what he does. It's just so different than what he does. So I think this song got a second chance because uh and I think it was never released, probably because of politics and just the the um the strategy they had of releasing the singles and it didn't get the airplay. So I think it got a second chance through the live circuit here, and it's one of the more popular mm. If you're a, if you're a big Lionel Richie fan, you you know this song, you love this. Song. It's a great song, by the way. It's one if you ha- it's a deep cut of "Can't Slow Down." Check it out. Uh, it it kind of sold me on it that way too. That's kind of how I got into it too. Nice, yeah. I think Lionel Richie in general, he got. I think he got a boost. He was on like. The voice or something. Or he yeah, was on he, some he, of those shows. Yeah, yeah. And there was a couple things. He, music another that one. and his daughter Bruce. becoming popular had a lot to do. Yeah. With it. Uh, yeah. But what killed Lionel Richie's career was his cheating on his wife. That yeah, really hurt good. him. Like it hurt him pu- publicly and personally. He he, he just because he was considered to have the ideal marriage kind of a guy. Yeah. You know, he was Mister Romance, and he was like you know yeah. the guy who's. You know, he's saying truly, like, you know, what I mean, he's saying hello, you know, and when I think that really hurt him when he when he got caught, when he got caught cheating on his wife and it took him a long time. Mm. And I think people did give him a second chance later on as well. Mm. Now, this band, thanks to some documentaries in the last couple of years this and is going. Some stuff. This band. You've been into this band lately. You've been into this band lately. Yeah, I think it's it's had some documentaries and kind of gave this band another look. And it's the Carpenters. And I have rainy days and Mondays. Right. Um, I love the song. I love the Carpenters. But it's the same thing as John Denver and Hall Notes Coop. Like with my generation, it's like the Carpenters. You kidding? That's like this cheesy, you know, like got like trumpet and strings and like it's just you know. And, and, and like, oh, that's just like to- that. That's like the epitome of uncool. Uh, but which I so people just wrote it off, generally speaking. Yeah. But I think because of some soundtracks and because of there's some good Carpenters documentaries out there recently. Yep. Um, they've kind of got another look, and kind of you know people are are, are starting to to have a bit more um, a bit more look at their music, which is good. I think the Tommy Boy scene had a lot to do with this. Okay, yeah. So you talk about yeah. other so, so superstars in the Tommy, Tommy, Tommy Boy movie. It's it's kind of a a spoof, like it's a little bit of a spoof. Like like they're trying to find a song on the radio, they can't agree on the song, and and then they agree on superstar, and then they're singing along with it, and it almost yeah. made it cool to do it, right? And I think after that, it it, it helped them. I don't want to say it was an instant thing, but I think, but with Tommy Boy having kind of a generational following, I think it's helped. So I, I give. Well, they, I'll put a little bit on Tommy Boy with this. Well, think of Wayne's World, what it did for Bohemian Rhapsody. Like after oh, that, yeah. Well, we, it made yeah, brought it back to number. I think it, that song went number one again because of Wayne's World. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's like we talked about Kate Bush and, and and running up the hill. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Oh, I love this song. See, I get to look at Coop's notes here. Yeah. Love the song that you got next. Yeah. So, I chose it. the song is Valerie. 
The artist mm. is, is not Mark Ronson. It's Steve Winwood. It's a completely different mm -hmm. song. So when I think of Valerie, I love Mark Ronson and Amy Winehouse's song. Yeah, this is a completely different song. It's not does nothing in the only thing it shares is the name Valerie. Yeah. Um, this was a song that w was released in 1982. It didn't do well on the charts. It didn't really capture a following, right? Yeah. Um, and what the song's about? It's a song about actually it was inspired by uh, Winwood's longtime collaborator Will Jennings, who was his songwriting partner. Apparently. Uh, it's about a man reminiscing about a loving loss, hoping to find again. And a lot of people thought it was singer Valerie Carter that was tied with this, right? But the song went nowhere, right? 1986, mm. back in the highlight, explodes. Okay, it puts Winwood back on the map, right? Mm -hmm. So what does Winwood do? Is he goes and releases a greatest hits album called Chronicles. And you know, on a greatest hits album, you got to throw something on there to get some airplay, right? So you got to throw something quote unquote new, right? Well, they didn't throw something new. They decided to go and put Valerie on, but they remixed it, right? Uh, Tom Lord, uh, Algie, did a re-release of it, right? And he didn't bastardize it. He tweaked it. It's, it's not terribly different from the 1982 version, but, but it kind of put a few tweaks into the song, giving it a little more of a, of a little more polish. It's a little more radio-friendly. And this song explodes. Okay, it goes to the top ten. Mm. Uh, it's re-released, so it was a remix, but it wasn't like completely bastardized, is what I'm saying. Yeah. And I yeah. think the timing played into this one because Winwood was on fire after back in the high life, mm -hmm. and Chronicles comes out, and Chronicles just explodes, and actually it bridges Winwood to the next album, which is Roll with It, right? So, but yeah. this song had a lot to do with it. Um. Uh, they, uh, and like I said, um, it, it, it became a huge hit for him for a song that five years earlier, no one was paying attention to. I'd always follow mm -hmm. him, but again, I really wasn't into it, but the re the tweaked version really did it for me. Yeah. And you see that with some, with some, some songs, you take yeah. it up a little bit of a remix to it yeah. and the remix takes off. Um, no, great pick. Steve yeah. Winwood. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Steve Winwood went on the show. Yeah. Well, we, uh. Definitely. That's like I said. It's a. Like I said it was a smart move how they did it. They they did a greatest a new greatest hit song without creating a completely new. Like sometimes they do these greatest hits albums, and yeah. they created a song and it's kind of like getting a cigar out of the factory that didn't make it. You know, they yeah, pull right. out of, They pull a tape out. And do, no, they they took something here and they made it better here. And I like what they did yeah, with that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the next song I got is ZZ Top. Just got paid. Oh, now, good one. The reason I chose this is not that this song necessarily was a huge hit as such, but people forget that ZZ Top made some killer blues records before Eliminator. Like, oh, they forget that there's this whole career before the Eliminator Like, record. hardcore blues. Hardcore blues. Yes. Stuff. I think we've talked about this. This came up. Like, I don't know. Rio like Grand Mud. You got yeah. Trace Ombres. You got. This ZZ Southern Rock style album. came much later. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but people just immediately go to Eliminator, which is, you know, fine. Yeah. But they, they, they forget about these records that were well-regarded and did well, but are largely just totally forgotten about. Um, so this is, to me, to give a second chance to ZZ Top's, uh, I guess, initial three albums uh, before Eliminator came out, where they're uh, really hardcore blues, and it's really good. Yeah. So it just got paid. 
I picked that song because I, I like this is a song uh, that I haven't talked about a lot, but still some people might know. Um, so yeah, it's just it's just got these killer blues guitar riffs and stuff. Yeah, oh, yeah, it really does. It pays like a homage to that. Yeah. Um, but like I said, Coop, I mean, we talked about a little bit when I think I think John picked Eliminator for his um yeah like albums of the eighties. It won it won a couple of rounds. It went a round or two. Yeah, at least one round. Forget about that. People forget about that early career, man. They do. Um, even to this day, they forget about mm. it. Like they're not. Uh, it's not legs. It was blues. It no, was. A, that's, it, that's right. Yeah. Exactly. Um. Oh, I love this pick. Your next pick. Your next couple picks are phenomenal. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> and I love them. Yeah. All right. So this one's a little different for me. Um. But it was one I thought of right away when when this exercise came. Uh the the band's the Pet Shop Boys, and the song is the West End Girl, West End Girls. Mm. Sometimes you're better off dead. There's a gun in your hand right. that's pointing at yeah, your yeah, head. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Well, it. So okay, let me give you a little background. I I heard this song for the first time in 1986, uh, and it was it was the version I'm talking about here, and it was being played on an alternative rock station of all things, right? Yeah, but right. I, I had never heard of these guys. Okay, never heard of them. I'm like this is a hell of a track, right? Mm. Then I'm, as I'm kind of radio surfing, because back then, and then I get the album. I'm like, these guys are more ingrained in dance and disco and electronic music. I didn't realize this, right? Um, so it, but this song was a huge, a monster hit for them, right? Because it it kind of crossed over, right? And it was their first big hit, the West End Girls. But I learned a lot from this, right? Um. You know, this was a song about inner city life, inspired by T.S. Eliot's poem "The Wasteland." Um, you know, it deals with class distinctions and pressures. You know, all, dealing with the different class. Okay, what I didn't know, and as I learned this later on, is this song came out a year earlier, or two years earlier, and it was released um, on Columbia Records, Bobcat Records, uh, and produced by a guy named Bobby Orlando, who's known in the electronic music thing, right? And it actually had a lot. It, this song had some legs, particularly in Europe, in the in mm. the in the dance clubs in Europe, lesser extent in the U.S. Not a bad song, okay? Not, yeah. But it wasn't the version of West End Girls that we was being played on an alternative rock station, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know what happened with the Pet Shop Boys. It didn't work out with Bobby Orlando. They cut ties with Bobby Orlando. They cut ties with Columbia. Uh, they bring in, um, they go to EMI. They hire a new manager. And they bring in Stephen Haig, who's worked with Madonna and stuff like that. Uh, and he, and they basically rework West End Girls to what the version you've heard is. Yep. That song gets a second chance. And it's a song like that it was being played on the alternate rock stations. Okay. Mm. Pet Shop Boys, that wasn't where they were going. They were going to be electronic dance music for the next 30 years. Yeah. Okay? But, but you know, over 30 years. So, but that's where they were. But, but this song, I still think it's the most popular. This is the Pet Shop Boys song everyone knows. Yep, yep, um, yep. It's one of my favorite songs. They've done some other remixes of this song. Okay. So they, they have, but it's, I think that second chance it got is when Stephen Hay came in and they reworked this song. Um, because I don't like I said that first version, it's a nice version, but it doesn't stand up to what the EMI Stephen Hay version mm. was. So, uh, love this song. You know, this is, uh, 
when I went to London, the big thing I had to do was walk through the West End section of London, and I'm humming. Oh, this, you have to. I'm humming this song to myself, and like, like I have I have a earphones on my on my phone, and I'm nice. listening to the track, and people must have thought I lost my marbles, right? Hey, man. Uh, but but yeah, it was just uh, I had to go to the West End section of London, and I had to put this song. It was like one of those bucket list things. I had to do it. Uh, uh, I did record myself doing it though, but uh, but yeah, it was it was cool. <laughs> This song, I feel, goes in cycles where people don't listen to it and then everybody's listening to it and they drop out of it and everybody's Agree. Agree. It kind of keeps coming around. Yeah. I do song. think Pest Up Boys, they've earned it. They should be getting consideration for Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They've mm. had, like, because their success, I know, hasn't been in the U.S. as much, but they are a monster band in, in New York. Yeah. Let me tell you, they're just huge. London, they're still big in England. Yeah. And throughout Europe, Germany, you go in there. Yeah. But you're right. It goes this through next... cycles, Dave. I think that's yeah. a very fair. I think it does. Yeah. Yeah. I hear um, people. Yeah. But I think it also yeah. inspired some of the other songs. You know, remember oh, that definitely. show Absolutely Fabulous? Yes. They did a theme song for it, actually, too. Oh, yeah. It. Yeah. Love it. Uh, Ab Fab, man. Ab Fab was, oh, they were, they were crazy. That was, that was crazy. <laughs> the stuff that. they did on that show was crazy. To, get, yeah. to give you an idea of Ab Fab, there, there are these two uh, women that are like fashionistas or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's Patsy or which one it is, but one of them, they and in one of the episodes, she wakes up to an alarm with a cigarette already in her mouth. Yeah, yeah. And she just lights. They're always hungover. They're always drunk, <laughs> right? They, they're like, they always look like um, oh, they always look like um, and they call everybody darling, and they dress uh, like they're in the like they're in Vogue magazine. They always look so like they're good. taking the walk of shame the next morning. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you gotta watch. They, yeah, it, what a great. Great, one of the great British shows ever. To the American audience, you have to watch AbFab. AbFab was so was unbelievable. Um, all right, this goes out to Coop, man. Oh, Did I you... love this pick. Yeah, this was. Thank you for putting you... this one on. This goes out to Coop because Coop knows all about it. This is Led Zeppelin, "Fool in the Rain." Now, people like Led Zeppelin. What are you talking about? People love Led Zeppelin. Well, not this song though. <laughs> not this song. When when. I feel, this is my opinion that hardcore Zep fans, when they got to this record being in through the outdoor, they're like, yeah, you know, it's a bit of filler. It's near the end of their career. They're trying some new stuff. It's okay, but it's not, you know, one, two, three, four, physical graffiti. It's like, it's, you know, it's just this like filler record from Zeppelin that like is, you know, whatever. Um, but in going back to it and giving it a second chance, there's a lot of great experimentation on this record. Um, like in the evening is on this record. Yeah. Um, and you got uh Fool in the Rain. I think in through the outdoors on this record. Yeah. Um it's in through the outdoors. Fool in the Rain is a great track. It's it, it's it's sort of them experimenting with their sound. And I think a lot of hardcore Zeppelin fans, and by default, a lot of uh casual Zeppelin fans just forget about this record entirely, see it as like cast off. Yeah. Uh I think deserves to have another look. It and Coop, Coop's been on that, on that train, man. I, I think into the out, I think into the outdoor was a symbolic name. I think they were getting ready for a new phase of their career. Yep. Um, but what happened? Uh, John Bonham dies. Mm-hmm. Um, but more importantly, I think what happened was the band stops touring. Had they yeah. toured with this album, I think it would have been a different story. And there's not a lot of life cuts off in through the outdoor for a lot of reasons. In no. fact, so this is a case where I believe, <coughs> excuse me, that this really hurt them. Um, 
it really hurt them when that when they weren't able to tour with this. And I think that ultimately kind of st- stalled this whole transition that they were going through. I agree with that. Um, and I think that hurt. I think that really hurt the album. Why people forget it? It's because when Bonham died, the band's like, "Well, we can't be a band like that. We're not just going to replace him." Yeah, you know. And they sort of they sort of left it until like Page and Plant got back together. Um, and this album's really lost because then people went back to the older albums because they wanted to hear, you know, Bonham's drumming and all that and the hard, more harder rock bluesy stuff. And this album got because when it came out, like the songs, these songs were still popular. But then you said, like, it didn't get that, like, second wave, that second push. No, and um, stuff. it didn't. And I think there was another problem that this album had that um, why it didn't get the push either, even because I don't think Jimmy Page was really behind this album as much. Right. No, um, I think. And, and, and I want to say that Robert Plant was Google. This was more of uh, from what I understand. Uh, this was more of a John Paul Jones deal. This album. They're, they're experimenting. They're trying new sound. Yeah, it, it was it was I think they wanted to do it, but I just I don't know if they were not happy with it. Um, But they I don't think they ever got I don't think, like I said, I don't think Paige ever got behind this album, even Great though he track, produced though. even though he produced the album. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I just think uh, this is when the whole uh, like I said, I think this is really was John Paul Jones with the big input. But this is also uh with, with Jimmy Page even wasn't even showing up at the studio for this. Uh, well, I mean, and, it wasn't a, it wasn't a guitar forward album. No, it wasn't. Know? It wasn't at yeah. all. Um, like I said, um, and uh, but like I said, this was really the John Paul Jones album. Um, yeah. And uh, I just, like I said, you have In the Evening, you have uh, oh, Carousel Ramba, which is like a 10 minute classic track with all. <laughs> but yeah, Full In of the Rain, um, you have this like samba sound to it, right? Yes. It has this like salsa sort of thing going yeah, on. Yeah, but I think Fool in the Rain was a plant song. I want to say Fool in the Rain was a plant song. Yeah, I think that was more him with that. And of course, All My Love was a, was a was a plant song with Jones as oh, well. But but God. but yeah, Jimmy Page. This even though he produced he this, I don't. I think because he never was behind this album, it didn't get mm-hmm. like because I would have thought okay, maybe they try to try to kind of pivot at some point. They didn't do it, you know. Love I I. Love this next one from you. Excellent pick for a second chance song. This was not only a, a second chance on the radio; it was a second chance for personal. Um, and the song is um, "You Can Call Me Al" by Paul Simon. So mm. it's off the Graceland album. Now the Graceland album has a very interesting story to it, right? Because this is where Paul Simon is a is a very innovative album. He starts working with the South African musicians and stuff. Lady Smith, Black Mombazo, famously. Yep. Yep. Well, the album comes out, and this one you want to talk about an album that just I don't think people were ready for this album when it came out. Okay. And it bomb it's bombing this album. Okay. This album is bombing. Okay. It it they release they release you can call me out. It it doesn't even make the top 40, right? In 1986, right? But the Grammys get behind this album. The Grammys love Paul Simon. The Grammys end up giving Graceland album of the year, right? And it let it, it it gave this album getting that album of the year actually gave this album a push, and it started to be looked at very differently. Right, people were like, "This mm. is a pretty good." The radio station started playing this. Um, the Graceland title track comes out. They re-release uh, "You Can Call Me Out," um, and um, it actually. Um, 
it still doesn't chart super high in the U.S. It goes like number 23, but it goes huge in the U.K. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it ends up making the top uh, it made the top 10. It becomes a huge selling sales wise. It becomes a huge album. There's the Chevy Chase video that's done with it. Um, and it has become a Paul Simon staple. It's probably one of his most oh, well-known yeah. songs outside of Simon and Garfunkel. I'm not saying it's the most popular, but it it totally got a second chance. And I think this is one case where the Grammy gave it a second chance. And it was it's a very good album. That's the thing is it was, but it was kind of lost because we were still in the, in the realm of top forty, and it wasn't a very top forty friendly album. This was probably the most top forty friendly song that came out. I think the Grammys too can give these albums, these songs, a second chance and get that bump. Yeah, that they Grammy tried it. With, they tried it with Easter Bonnie Raitt. Really. They tried it with Bonnie Raitt. <laughs> tried multiple the, times. They tried it. I think they gave Chad like one nick of time. Uh, the yeah. thing called love was the only thing I thought that that they were able to push with Grammy uh, mm. Bonnie Raitt. But this was a better album than Nick of Time. That's my point. My last one is a timing thing, and that's De La Soul, the magic number. So that comes uh, off of yeah, this their cool. record. Uh, what was it Three Feet High and Rising, I believe? Yep. Um, now, unfortunately, that record came out in 89, which is in the wake of NWA's Shadow Compton, which came out yep. in 88. Yep. And I think De La Soul wasn't in that, you know, more gangster rap yep. uh, vibe, which then, like, sort of took off. Uh, it was seen more as, like, hipster at the time and kind of got lost in the shuffle. Um, and it got a second life uh as people look more i think people look more into de la soul's music a few you, years before true joy's death um so i get more of a look and then true joy's death people definitely went back to their music but um yeah i think this is a great song that got kind of lost in the shuffle with with um it was going against the grain of everything coming out at that time hip hop wise uh and yeah got a got a got a a good, uh, yeah, it's a great song. It deserves a second chance. That whole album. I agree. Really I agree with you on that one. It's a good pick. This um, was a solid pick. Solid pick. Yeah. This one. Um, it's uh, I like this one a lot actually. And here we go. Close us out here, Coop. Well, we'll get the Bee Gees on here, right? Yeah. So the song is "You Win Again" by the Bee Gees. So the Bee Gees, after like nineteen eighty one. They the disco thing comes down there. They they decide they need to take a little break. And that's when they went into the whole songwriting phase for a while. They're writing songs for, you know, Islands in the Stream. They're writing songs for Dionne Warwick. They're writing songs for Diana Ross. And and they decide to get back in the studios in 1987 to do the first Mm -hmm. album in a few years, like four years. Right. And they released this album called ESP. Okay, And um. One of the songs is You Win Again. Um, and this song features what I loved about this song. It wasn't disco, but it brought back that that classic Barry Gibb falsetto from the 70s. All right. Uh, it's just Barry Gibb. This is Barry Gibb at his best. Right. And mm-hmm. it's a monster hit in Europe. A monster hit. ESP is a big hit. The album. You win again is a monster hit everywhere but in the U.S. 
They yes, can't. Sir. They can't get this record played anywhere. Okay. I actually went and got the album ESP back in '87. I'm like, this is a good album, right? It's not that best album, but we went against a great song. Nothing dies. Okay. <laughs> All right. So two years later, the Bee Gees try again, and they release an album called One. Once again, it's a big hit in Europe. It does a little better in the U.S. They have mm-hmm. a, the, the title track gets some airplay. Um, they decide you win again is a pretty good song. Like this is a monster world. Let's try to release you win again. Like on the heels of this, like even though it's from the previous album, let's release it like now as a single. And it does a, it does better. It's getting played mm-hmm. at least on radio stations. Um, it, it's doing better for them, but it never got the European success that it did. Um, but it got more airplay, and I think it kind of put the Bee Gees back a little on the map uh, between that and one where they got a second chance, and it was kind of like the last hurrah for the Bee Gees in a lot of ways, closing out the 80s, you know, with, with mm-hmm. this. Uh, they, 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 after that, they really didn't have, they had, they have had very little influence other than they did, uh, the One Night Only Live album, but that's, that that was it. But I think this kind of gave the Bee Gees one last chance uh, for the U.S. audience. And this song is still one of my favorite Bee Gees songs. Um, it's just like I said, the harmonies are great. It's kind of everything that you mm. loved about the Bee Gees in the 70s, but it's not a disco beat is the difference. Yeah, And that's oh, how I closed pick. it out. Yep. Great pick. <laughs> Good song. I check out if you're a Bee Gees person and you haven't heard this song, check this song out. You great win again. Pick. Yep. Um, Let's get into our final thoughts on the uh, cigars here. Yeah. This, what, do you, what do you got here, Coop? Yeah. Uh, performing like a cigar of the year is just a great San Andreas uh, cigar. You get some of those coffee notes, uh, some of the dark chocolate notes. Uh, there's there's a nice amount of spice on this cigar. It uh, it's this is I want to say it's about a year old this cigar, so it's performing probably with that year of age, which is really good. Um, it's still, like I said, it still performs like a cigar of the year. It's, it's a tremendous, tremendous cigar. Uh, probably one of the best cigars that probably just never took off to the level it should have. Mm, it is a great cigar. It is, I have yeah. had that cigar. Um, this is where I'm at in my Malibu Rick here, Coop. It's smoking good. Well, okay. Is Not it? quite. I mean, you could tell like construction wise, obviously, First, compared to cigar of the year, not performing construction wise is you like it like it burns pretty. I mean, not super quick, but like not as evenly. Um, I think if you like Maduro's, you're going to like the cigar. It's not all it's not totally complex, but you get all those classic like rich, sweet, sort of dark, like chocolatey notes that go really well. The last the first two thirds, the last third, it gets a bit harsh. And a lot of the complexity moves away. Um, it's not super strong, but I think if you like Maduro's, like I like Maduro cigar, it's a solid cigar. Um, I think it'll give you the the flavor notes you want. If you're looking for a really complex Maduro, I don't think you're gonna get that. But if you're just looking for something, you know, that gives you those classic Maduro notes that you like, I think it's I think it's a good cigar. I like it. So it's Modafina. Um, this that's a Modafina blend, by the way. Mm. The blend's pretty interesting with that cigar. It's it's Modafina wrapper, binder, Dominican, it's Nicaragua and Honduras. So it's got like four big countries in there. Um it's an interesting blend, I'll say that. Does you know the, the packaging is the packaging is like that's what it is. <laughs> We're not I mean, I the, think the, the, yeah. the, the cigar is the cigar. Good for you. Yeah. 
I mean, like I said, I think if you like Maduro's, now are there other Maduro's I go to above this? Yeah, probably. I mean, yeah. the the I, the one that comes off the top of my head is like that that farce Maduro from Room One Hundred and One is an excellent Maduro. Um, like if you if you look at like you know the the we smoked it just a little bit before the the Jericho Hill. Um, like there are other Maduro's I go for, but I still think it's you know. I think if you're looking for something you could add to the rotation that you just want a Maduro, you're not looking for something overly complex, you're just having a cigar. I think it's good. So I think there's a reason why you like this cigar. Uh-oh. It has nothing to, it has nothing to do with the packaging. Do you know where this cigar was made? Oh no. Where okay. I know he didn't make this cigar, but he this is a guy I know you love his cigars. And he uses this fat it comes out of the same factory he uses. Uh, the factory is called Tabacalera La Perla, and Ooh. that's the factory that Paul Stulak used. Really? Yep. I do like Paul Stulak. I know. Cigars. I mean, you and I got, I think you and I bonded over Paul Stulak stuff. I mean, we've had, yeah. Uh, he, Paul Stulak made some great cigars, and he's worked he's worked down at that factory uh, for a long time. So I think that's the exact, I think this is, again, this is why you've had a connection. If, you know, I could see you liking this cigar because of that. Yeah, okay, I mean, Paul it, or anything, but yeah, I'm just saying there's a connection here. It's not as good as Paul Stulek's Red Screaming Sun, which is incredible. Um, but is it is it the Cien Años Maduro? No, <laughs> from La Aurora. But it's it's solid. It's a solid Maduro. So okay, gotta give you props, Pravada, when you make a solid cigar, and this is solid. Yeah, no, I think it's good. Like I said, um, and Paul Stulek really put that factory on the map, by the way. It was Paul Stuck a day. Who's I miss Paul? I wish uh, one of uh, one of my favorite interviews I've ever done was with Paul. Yeah, you've you had him on Jukebox, haven't you? Yeah, I've had him a couple times. Yeah, he's a you guy. Can still get his, you can still get his his stuff at the Pravada site. Yeah, the um, Stulak yeah. cigars. Yeah, and the other thing is, um, there's another brand out of that factory called Stallone Cigars uh, that comes out of oh, that factory. Yeah. So he's using that. It's a good. That's a good factory. Is what I'm saying. Um, they do some good stuff, so that's Guillermo Pena is the guy who owns that factory. Speaking of, I got these cigars at Hustler, and speaking of Hustler, yep. you got the new Music 45 coupe. Yep, brought to you by Cigar Hustler. Um, located in Deltona, Florida, uh, one of the great retail stores that I've been to. Great humidor, great customer service, great lounge. Uh, like I said, there's something for everybody in that humidor. Dave found Malibu Rick in there. But you can I also did. get a lot of tried and true cigars. They, they even have um, they have the Anarchy NFTs, which are priced yep. like everybody else. So if you want to spend the money on them, but uh, like I said, um, of course they have the Postani brand, and uh, the new SBC twenty two is coming out, which is exciting. Is. So uh, Postani is their brand, and what I love, Dave, what they do with Postani is. They're a retailer, right? But they give it to another retailer first. I mean, they, they do. Right. They don't they don't hoard it for themselves in their store. So they really are trying to create a good national brand. But if you cannot get to Deltona, Florida, you want to go to CigarHustler.com. You want to go on their social media pages because they get a lot of limiteds. And when those limiteds drop, the emails go out, the social media posts go out, and you will be able to be the first to get those. And they go fast, let me tell you. You don't want to see it. Yeah. I got hot email news about that coop. Okay. Back in stock, Andalusian Bull from uh, LFD. And if you are a member of the Cigar Hustler Cigars of the Month Club, you get, in this month, you get the SBC, the new SBC. 
Good job by them. Nice, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Jeff, I, I, if you're in America, definitely the cigar of a month is, would be. I'm still an SBC 18. That was my favorite um, of them. I'm really looking forward to smoking the 22. I am uh, really looking forward. Skip yeah. says it's the best one. Yeah. Actually, he said, I think 18 was the best. I thought 20, I just reviewed the 20. It got an 89, which is a very good score. I, um, but uh, the 18 was a top 20 cigar for me a few years ago. Back in eight, yeah, that's a uh, really. I I think this, you know, a lot of times I'll get on companies for doing limiteds, and the limiteds aren't as good. I think they do pretty good limiteds, Postani. Yeah. Totally. So, uh, yeah, definitely check those out, and like I said, get on those. Like Dave's got some news there. You, you Andalusian Bull Guy, they're not easy to get those sometimes. So. Now, the problem is, by the time I get the email and go on the site, they're all gone. Yeah, because they come out. Hey. Like, you're at work when they happen. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so check them out. Um, here's the new music. Bit of a theme here. We got Beyonce with Travis Scott on a track called Delesto, which echoes. Yep. Which is an incredible track. How did I miss this track? I will talk about that. Okay. Uh, It sounds a lot like the vibe of her Renaissance stuff. It's got some clubs, some darkness, some hip hop, power, sex. And it's got this sort of doom, dark vibe. It's a great song. Flip it over side B. We got Travis Scott and SZA. Ooh, with telekinesis. SZA. Yep. Great. Lots of post-production work. It has this really epic vibe, this song. Travis Scott is making some big artistic choices on this track and on the record. So it's very, it's a very good song. And I was like, how did I miss this song? I missed this whole record, Coop. Because yep. the album archaeology homework is Travis Scott's Utopia. Which I don't know how I missed the Travis Scott record, but it came out in July, and I totally missed it. Uh, both of the tracks, side A and side B, are on it, and it's just a great record. Lots of great guest stars on it. Some really big artistic moves from Travis Scott on it. Uh, I love it. It's going to definitely be showcased on the Oop series because I totally there you missed go. it. There, there, there you go. Yeah, that's why Dave does the Oop series. Uh, but yeah, it's just a great record. I don't know how I missed the new Travis Scott record, but I did. And and it's great. Utopia, check it out. Utopia, there you go. There you go. Yeah. So uh um like I said, I like some of the guests that are on here too. I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of guests on it. It's yeah. pretty full, it's a pretty big record. Yeah, exactly. It was good stuff. That's all I got. Just me and my I, Malibu Rick. There you go. And I'm still smoking my scar of the year, which I will still do. Um all right. So um if you are um if you are watching um this on month like this is airing on uh December fourth. Uh it's a Monday, but if you go to Friday, December eighth, the countdown starts on Coop. So the countdown will be starting on Cigar Coop on Friday, December eighth. We'll be counting all the way down to number one. There's a couple off days for Christmas and New Year's Wait. Eve. Uh but um on the on January eighth, which is a Monday we always reveal the number one cigar on a Monday. Uh, the number one cigar will be revealed. So the countdown can't is going to start by in a few days, guys. Oh, can't wait. I love the countdown. I can't wait. Yeah, I think this year uh, not going to be a lot of surprise. But, Dave, I'll say this about the countdown. The top 10 was really solid this year. After that, maybe 11 or 11 was good, too. But really, after 11, it was everything was so close, right? It's it's like music this year. It's the yeah, same thing. It, it was. Um, so there were only eight cigars that scored over ninety on Coop last year. 
Oh yeah. So, so it was a tight. It was a much tighter configuration. So, so that will be happening um, when this airs. So definitely want to stay tuned for that as we we kick that off. So that's going to be uh, one of our big things on Coop. So. And that's all nice. I got. That's Dave. all I got. Yeah, that's all I got, man. All right, all right. So we are at the end again. Thank you to our audience as well. Uh, that's going to wrap up primetime jukebox episode one fifteen into the annals of history for this early de- December two thousand twenty three. Um, like I said, give these songs a second chance, and we'll catch you on the B side. Take care, everybody. <laughs>